Sid and Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. Sid Rosenberg's a radio host and author of Citizens United. Let's start with a charging station that doesn't work. What the hell happened there? I'm friends with the mayor. I'm a Republican Trump supporter. He's a Democrat, right? We've had dinner together, lunches together, and I kind of like him. But the truth is, whether you're talking about these charging stations or migrant centers in Brooklyn, or a host of other issues, stuff just doesn't seem to work. This is a Biden thing, right? Because Biden doesn't want to talk about gas prices and oil prices, or, of course, Keystone pipelines or drilling. He wants to get to the day where these cars become really important. Eric Adams couldn't care less about an electric car. He has no idea how to even work those. He's following suit with the rest of the Democrats. So what about these robot dogs? You have to realize that for two robots, it costs about $750,000. Now, to train, vet, and graduate a New York police officer, it costs $100,000. That means seven or eight human beings that could be cops are off the street for robots, who, by the way, only go three miles per hour. And you ready for this? Have to be operated by a human being. The truth is, here in New York, between the crime, between the taxes, the dirt, the filth, the lousy education, Mayor Adams has a lot of work to do. Fix our city because one-third of New Yorkers are leaving as we speak because of the real problems in this city. I left. Robocops. Sid, I left already. I'm in Jersey now. You're in Jersey. I left. You went to a worse place. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sid. <laughs> Nice to see my friend Jesse Waters again last night. It was a long time since I've uh, seen Jesse. Jesse's been on the show with me a couple of times. Was on with me and Bernard a couple of times, but been a while. And uh, he is one of the few guys that I do watch pretty regularly on Fox News. I love Brian Kilmeade, of course. And uh, Tucker Carlson is the best on television. I occasionally catch Sean Hannity, but uh, I do enjoy Jesse. He's on at a good time for me, 7 o'clock. So it was um, pretty cool when my book publisher, Kelsey Merritt, Post Hill Press, reached out to me yesterday. She tried to book me not once but twice with Jesse when my book came out last September. And uh, Waters canceled on me twice, that son of a bitch. But uh, Kelsey reached out to me yesterday out of the blue. And I was doing this show in the morning, and she said, uh, Waters is looking for you. She's <laughs> looking for me said, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, these stories about the mayor, Eric Adams, and, you know, you're kind of tight with the mayor, and your mind going on, and she made it very clear that I had to be critical of the mayor. So if you watched my appearance last night, I prefaced the whole conversation with, I'm a friend of the mayor. I like the mayor. All that is true. 
But I think why people like this show, and folks, get ready. Ratings came out yesterday. I'm about to blow you all away. I know some of you can't stand it, but they don't like this show. They love this show. I can tell you this. Pick your three favorite shows, three of them, in this genre. I'm not talking sports, politics. Pick three of them. Add up all their ratings. Less than me. That's how huge this show has become. Huge. Nothing comes close. Not in the history of WABC mornings. Nothing. And Luke could attest to that, too. But um, I said, look, I'm friends with the mayor, but the truth is I'm disappointed. Really disappointed. Going back to a statement he made on this show just two weeks ago where he said Alvin Bragg is doing a good job. Come on, man. Now, I haven't talked to Eric since that day. Haven't seen him, obviously. I do think it's time for a serious conversation. But I'm not interested in robocops and electric cars and all this nonsense. See, see, I know Eric well. He loves all the technology stuff. He loves it. He gets off on that. Don't forget, when he first got the job, he wanted to be paid in cryptocurrency. Until, of course, that whole thing fell apart. But uh, there are some real issues in this city. Evidence, of course, by the cover of today's New York Post, which reads, Exit Stage Left. New Yorkers look to flee over crime, costs, progressive policies. So when you heard the open there, that's exactly, exactly what I said at the close of my conversation with Jesse Waters last night before this Post cover even came out. Exactly. These are real issues. So I um, I was all too happy to do it. And it was fun. I got a chance to see my friend Kat Timp. I like her. She's got a brand new book out. She's going to join me on this show next Thursday. She's a regular on that Greg Gutfeld show. I said, hey, Kat, baby, this uh, Gutfeld, I know he gets big ratings at night, which is you know, good for him. I don't think he's all that great. We've had this conversation a million times. Um, but he owns it. He got, he has a monopoly, right? I mean, everybody else is a, is a Democrat. Jimmy Fallon, Kimmel, who else is on? Is Conan O'Brien still on? I don't even know who's on at night. God, I don't know. I don't care. Is the fat guy from England still on? He's, I think he's almost done. Seth Meyers, all these people, they're all lefties. So Gutfeld is the only righty. So... It's not that he's a great comedian or he's funny. I've had the same conversations with Andrew Giuliani and John Stossel, all these people who just don't know comedy. He's not all that funny. He's just delivering what you want to hear. If Jimmy Fallon, for example, was a Republican, he would get better ratings than Gutfeld because he really is a comedian and he's absolutely adorable. But his politics sucks. You guys hate him. I get all that. But Tip is a regular on this Gutfeld choice, so he can't. How is it possible that the number one New York radio talent by a mile, it's by a mile, I'm going to be honest, folks, from here on in, and I don't care who I piss off, by a mile, how am I not on that show? I do TV all over town. Been in movies now, done TV sitcoms, dramas. She's like, I don't know. I don't know. I'll talk to Greg. I don't, don't talk to Greg. Do me a favor, please. He knows who I am. He knows where I am. I'm on with Kill Meat. I'm on with Waters or Wiley. He knows the deal. But anyway, she's she's nice. She's cute. She'll come on next uh, next Thursday. But I have to tell you, because I did a bunch of TV yesterday. I was across the street, too, with Bob Sellers and Katrina and uh, Laura Curran, who was quickly becoming one of my favorite radio personalities and people in this city. In fact, you guys 
No, I'm not lying, because before I went to London, I actually read on the air a list of five people, five, that I wanted to host this show in my stead. And I always start with my buddy John Katsimatidis, because I do love John, and he gets it. He knows this show. So I always start with John. But the other four names I gave were Curtis Sliwa, Laura Curran, Dominic Carter, and uh, who am I missing? I'm missing one more. Frank. Yes, Frank Morano. Thank you. Now, I was happy to hear that Frank Morano did the 6-7 to seven shift. That was great. Uh, I was happy that Dominic was on Thursday last week. In fact, I was on live from London with John, Chad, and Dominic. And um, who else uh, is on that list that was on? Laura was not on. I didn't love the Friday combination, but that's fine. Rita. Was Rita on? Well, she wasn't on my list of five, but she was on Wednesday, yes. Yeah. But I love Rita. Rita's great. So, But Laura is terrific, man. And I did an hour of TV with her yesterday, and she did an hour on radio with Frank Morano this morning. And she's great. You know, uh, John Katsimatidis talks about common-sense Democrats all the time. And he knows I love them, but uh, they, they don't exist. There's no such thing as a common-sense Democrat. There's just not. Uh, the closest to it, to John's credit, are two people that work here. And that's Laura Curran and David Patterson, the former governor. They're the closest to it. Laura being closer than David. Otherwise, common-sense Democrat is like a unicorn. Then it doesn't exist. You know, I thought maybe Tom Swazi was that guy. He's not. He's a loser. You know, I thought maybe uh, Manchin, Manchin maybe in West Virginia, he's kind of close. But he screwed the Republicans, too. They just don't exist. But at any rate, I love Laura Curran. And uh, we did an hour together yesterday across the street. So I did the four-hour radio show, then an hour, and then, uh, and then uh, of course, Jesse Waters last night. But i got to tell you guys this story. So I have about 90 minutes to kill in between the end of this radio show and my appearance across the street with Bob, Katrina, and, um, and Laura and my friend Monica Allen. So it's a beautiful day. It's like 80 degrees. You guys know I'm a sun worshiper. If you saw me on TV twice yesterday, I've got an August tan in April. And I decide I'm going to go out there, and there's a beautiful little area by my apartment building in Battery Park where it's a bunch of young people, good-looking people. They're running. They're playing volleyball. They're sunning themselves. And here comes Big Sid. So I get out there about 12 o'clock, and I know I have till about 1.30 before I have to shower, put on another suit. I wore three different suits yesterday, by the way, three different suits, and then head across uh, back here to, uh, to Midtown, you know. So I'm standing out there with my black Cali shorts on. That's one of my favorite restaurants in Rockwell. You know Cali's, Lou. I think so. Terrence Mullen, the brother of the St. John's and NBA great Chris Mullen, owns Cali's. Terrence and Tommy, the whole crew. I love that place. So I'm wearing the black Cali shorts, and I'm shirtless. And, again, at the risk of sounding arrogant, for a guy about to turn 56 on Wednesday, I may not be Carl Higby, but I'm in really good shape, really good shape. So I'm out there, and the tan's working, you know, the buys are out there. And I see some guy walking towards me. The guy was actually dressed like it was the middle of winter. I mean, some people yesterday, it's hilarious. I lived in Boca Raton. When the weather hit 60 degrees in Boca, people started wearing, like, fur coats, scarves, hats. You have to understand, they're old New Yorkers. 
They've got all this winter clothing. They don't want to throw it out. So if it, hit, if it hits 60, they dress like it's a snowstorm. Here it's the opposite. 80 degrees, people are dressed like it's the middle of winter. So this guy, uh, Noam and uh, Lewis, starts walking towards me. And he stops about, I don't know, five feet in front of me. And he makes that muscle pose. You know what I'm talking about, Norm, like Lou Ferrigno would do, you know. Yeah. And he's mouthing to me that you're in great shape, you're handsome, blah, blah, blah. So I start talking to him, and he points to his ears. And I figured out that the guy was deaf. So I have to lean into the guy so he can see my mouth because I'm a nice guy. I figure this guy's a fan. At the very least, I'm flattered. I lean in to talk to the guy. This is the God's honest truth. I swear on my son Gabriel's life. And you guys know how much I love Gabriel. I lean into the guy, and the guy grabs, I'm telling you, grabs my nipple. <laughs> no, I'm like, what in the? So I look at the guy, and I giggle like Kamala Harris, you know, that very uncomfortable Kamala Harris. I guess I didn't do it. I don't know what to say to the guy. You know, I mean, the... that was me. There you go. Yeah. Giggling like Kamala. So I look back at the guy, giggling like Kamala and with a quizzical look, and he puts his phone up and he goes, I'm deaf. He's typing it in. He's typing it in. He goes, he types, I'm deaf. Are you gay? Now, I kind of had a had a feeling he may have been gay when he grabbed my nipple in public on a crowded afternoon in New York City. But he actually texted on his phone to me, holding it up right in front of about 20 people, I'm deaf, are you gay? And, of course, I, I, uh, I broke the guy's heart because I'm not gay. You know, I mean, it was one night with Bernie a long time ago, but it doesn't count. And uh, <laughs> everybody experiments, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> so that was my experience. I didn't even bring that up with Jesse Waters last night. I mean, you know, I, mean, you know, I walked the streets of London for five days. Nobody tried to grab my nipples. <laughs> was he cute? He wasn't all that cute, and that's why I was upset. See, this is what a what a sick bastard I am. Like, if the guy looked like Mark Consuelos, who's about to replace. Ryan Seacrest, and work alongside his beautiful wife, Kelly Ripper, starting Monday. It's back to uh, Kelly and Mark, uh, the married couple. If he looked like him, I'd be like, I'm the man. But he wasn't good-looking enough to take any real credit. Because I like, you know, I like to, even if a guy hits on me, I, I'm always uh, flattered, you know. <laughs> You're just insane. <laughs> even if he's a deaf doofus. <laughs> hey, I got hot guys even after me. Look at this. Look at this. I'm not gay, but I'm getting close right now. I'm the man. I'm the man. So I just got a uh, text from WFAN legend and often a guest on this show, my former midday partner, Joe Beningo. He says, a nice work with Jesse Waters. Very disappointed in your buddy Adams. I guess you're one of the few crackers he likes. Get him wow. out. How about that? But, of course, if you do something live on television about Eric Adams, there's only one person you want to hear from, good or bad. And who would that be? Who's the biggest Eric Adams critic in New York City, Lewis? Uh, I believe he's uh, close by on this floor, uh-huh. I think. I think I see him every day. Yes. You have the same guest, Noam? I do. Curtis sends me a text right afterwards, and I quote, It was great. It was spontaneous, funny, but entertaining. 
you made your points and had the audience smiling. He goes on to say they do the Hollywood Squares routine with multiple guests, and it's predictable and boring. Here the both of you were into it and laughing your asses off, but you were giving out a lot of good analytical information about both programs. It left the viewer wanting more. Nobody was going to hit the channel changer during your segment. I mean, this, uh, this Sliwa is so pathetic in, in uh, patronizing me. I mean, I know he wants to be on the show, but my God. Does that sound like a Curtis Sliwa text to you? Not at all. What happened to this guy? <laughs> nothing about nothing about Canorsi? <laughs> when I sat in a sales meeting yesterday where they talked about Curtis fighting with everybody, this guy's uh, one step away from sending me naked pictures. <laughs> Not that I want those, of course, but I've already had my nipple grab by the cake. Stop being so greedy. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's funny. So we have a uh, great show for you today. I have a lot to discuss, obviously, both TV appearances. Again, the ratings came out yesterday, and, um, man, just uh, just crazy. But what is it, Lewis Cadbot? No, I thought you s- signaled me. No, no signal. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going we're gonna to wrap this uh, segment uh, yeah, up right I here. I thought it was time for a nipple grab again. That's what I thought. You know, my eye is bothering me because I had makeup not once but twice yesterday. And the best makeup girl in TV, everybody knows this, is makeup Maureen, Maureen Walsh. Of course, she helps me a dear friend of me and Danielle, too. She did such a good job of making my face less red and getting rid of the shine yesterday. That when I went to Fox News, I told the makeup girl, don't even worry about it. It lasted four hours. Big guest list about to come your way, the host of The Other Side of Midnight, my dear friend Frank Morano. He'll join us at 6.40. Folks, we go live to London, England. He was a member of Parliament. He led the Brexit. The very entertaining Nigel Farage coming up at 7.05. 7.40, Judge Angelo Palatano makes his appearance for the week. 8.25, we'll do Nuggets with Gnome. 8.40, it's the segment of the week. The ratings grab the great Bill O'Reilly. 9.05, live in studio, my dear friend Bo Deedle. And 9.25, we will talk bail reform today. Not nursing homes just yet, but bail reform. And I think Melissa DeRosa is going to take the bullet for her and Cuomo. All that coming your way on the Thursday edition of New York's favorite talk show by far. That's me, that's us, sitting friends in the morning, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC.
Yeah, one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs right here off of the Born in the USA album, which is nearly 40 years old, Bobby Jean. I know today is Springsteen's drummer, a guy that I know personally, and I like him very much. In fact, I saw him at the annual police ball back in December. He's a big uh, pro-cop guy. Mighty Max Weinberg. How old is uh, Max Weinberg today? I see 72. Jesus. He still looks great. He's got that long white hair. And in fact, I, um, you know, I'm good friends with Jim Allen. So is Bo Deedle. He'll be live in studio at 9.05. And when Jimmy opened the Hard Rock here in Atlantic City, because I'd uh, done shows for many, many years down at the Hollywood Hard Rock, because I lived in Florida, did my shows in Miami. So I did a lot of stuff down there, including that last Sopranos episode, and Jimmy and I became very, very good friends. So I, um, he opened up the, uh, the casino in Atlantic City, and Mighty Max Weinberg and his band played at the Hard Rock Cafe every Friday night. I'm not sure they still do that. I doubt they do, but for a long time they, they did that. So uh, I love Jimmy, and uh, I love Mighty Max Weinberg. Now, I am a little upset, I'm not going to lie to you, with another very good friend of mine, the lead guitarist, the great actor, Stephen Van Zandt. I know Mike Sullivan is listening, and I know Stevie's politics for a long time. And I think Steve Van Zandt is one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. I really mean that. He's a sweetheart. He's got a heart of gold. But he has said some stupid things about Trump in the past. Stupid. And most recently, to say that we need to exterminate Republicans as if Republicans were cockroaches. Come on, Stevie, baby. I'm one of your best friends. I'm a Republican. You want to exterminate me? I mean, every once in a while, these Democrats just don't think. They, they get so heated up over I don't know what because they're the party that's destroying this country. They're the ones, not Trump. Trump gave us three and a half years of of great. And Van Zandt, who's a smart guy and, again, a heart of gold, I love him. You know, listen, maybe the mayor is upset with me this morning because I was critical of him last night on Fox News, even though I made it very clear I'm his friend. And maybe Stephen Van Zandt will be upset with me after this. But you can't talk stupid. You know, come on, Steve. You're not a dumb guy. Exterminate the Republicans, cockroaches. Come on. So I get a lot of texts. You know, people are like, oh, your buddy, Stephen Van Zandt. Yes, he's my buddy. I love Stephen. Love him. And that's not going to change. But friends disappoint me. Family members disappoint me. Coworkers disappoint me. Colleagues disappoint me. My heroes growing up as kids disappointed me. Sports figures disappoint me. That doesn't mean I leave them whether it's Mayor Eric Adams today or Stephen Van Zandt or there's a lot of examples. But, but here's the difference. I will voice my disappointment, and I'm disappointed in both, both of those guys. Now, Joe Biden doesn't disappoint me because he is just an evil, corrupt, old, lying windbag and the worst president in the history of this country. Sorry, John Leguizamo. Biden is the worst president in the history of this country. So I'm on Waters last night, and right before I'm on with Waters, there's a guy named Mike McCormick on the show. Now, a lot of you have no idea who Mike McCormick is. I didn't either. But it turns out that McCormick was the stenographer for Barack Obama. So 
whether Barack or Biden, wherever they were, this guy Mike McCormick would go around and follow these guys and write down everything they said. I know you gave me the, the latest two sheets. I don't see McCormick here. Oh, I see it now. Yeah, yeah. He would write down everything they said. And I'm sitting in the green room last night getting ready for my appearance. And usually when I sit in the green room, I, you know, I, I talk to the makeup girls. I talk to the next guest. You know, I don't pay attention to the TV. But this guy, this guy got me. In fact, Alec, you got to book this guy. This guy is giving dates and times. When Joe Biden says, and Hunter Biden said the same thing. Don't forget, Hunter Biden was on with uh, Amy Robach before she started banging TJ, whatever his name was, and got fired by ABC. But he did a sit-down one-on-one with Amy. And he said, I never told my dad about anything. And Joe Biden is on record saying, I know nothing about my son's dealings in the Ukraine. Even though we've got a voicemail, not Ukraine, but China, but Joe Biden says, and I quote, don't worry, son. I saw the article in the New York Times. I think you're clear. You effing liar. You liar. Yes, that was China, not Ukraine. But Hunter Biden stated to Amy Robach, I have talked to my father every day, every day on the phone since college. And you're going to tell me that Hunter is in the Ukraine or somewhere in Eastern Europe and Joe Biden doesn't know about it or what he's doing there? Stephen Van Zandt, you're talking about Republicans? This is a criminal family running this country. There are wars starting all over the world. And this president ain't going to stop any of it because he's compromised. So instead of giving the Ukrainians exactly what they need, or basically saying, screw you, you've been fighting this war for a thousand years, he keeps giving them what they want because he owes them. He owes them. That Burisma company paid his son and him and his brother a lot of money. A lot of money. Let's stop the bullshit, the, the, the bull shizzle. Let's stop it. So this guy McCormick has the dates, the times. He's got all the information that Joe Biden knew exactly what his son was doing in the Ukraine. This is uh, Mike McCormick, once again, the former Obama stenographer, on Jesse Waters last night, cut number 16. And if you, you really thought before, if you were dumb enough or naive or delusional or just gender-driven to think that Joe Biden is innocent here, take a good listen to Mike McCormick, cut number 16. Joe Biden is in the front of the plane. My job as a White House stenographer was to be in the back of the plane in the press cabin. And if a white, if Joe or a senior administration official came back and did a briefing, and then I would record it and make a transcript. Well, that's exactly what happened. That senior administration official was Jake Sullivan, who's now our national security advisor. So I didn't see anything wrong with it at the time. Years go by. I've left the White House, I'm writing books, and I get a hold of the Hunter Biden laptop from Marco Polo. Uh, they're a nonprofit, a anti-corruption nonprofit. About a year and a half ago, I started writing a substack based on what I find. And then I go back over what I knew happened when I was working for Joe. I found the transcript that I wrote about that briefing. That's when Jake Sullivan starts talking about fracking. And because of what I'd read in a laptop and reported in my Substack previously, I'm like, wait a minute. Joe Biden knew Hunter Biden was already on the board on April 18th. Joe Biden knew. He directed Sullivan to go back and talk to the press 
This is a conspiracy. This is a crime. This is public corruption. That's what the FBI is supposed to investigate. So we know a lot about this, you know, whether it's been Miranda Devine, our dear friend of the New York Post, did great work with this. And the first whistleblower was a guy named Tony Bobolinsky, who you may remember was on Tucker Carlson for a few nights. This second whistleblower, Mike McCormick, I think is even more believable. He goes on to talk about how President Biden absolutely broke the law, should be impeached at the very least, maybe put in jail. He's got all the evidence, but the FBI, they won't return his call. George V., I hope you're listening. The FBI won't return his call. Mike McCormick, cut number 17. So I wrote a substack about it in November. Nothing happened. I went to the FBI and filled out their witness tip line. There's a website. You fill out all these tips, uh, these web, web directions. I submitted it. If you lie to the FBI when you're submitting a tip like that, you can go to jail. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Joe Biden is lying. Joe Biden is a criminal. That's the bottom line. I don't care if he goes to Timbuktu or Ireland or anywhere. He's a criminal. And I've got the evidence. If they put me in front of the grand jury that's right now seated in Wilmington with Special Prosecutor David Weiss, my testimony becomes the evidence that will put him in jail or will uh, lead to his impeachment, probably lead to his impeachment first. There you have it, folks. Former Obama and Biden stenographer Mike McCormick on Jesse Waters right before me last night. He's got the goods. The question is, does anybody want to listen? Frank Morano and traffic with Joe Nolan coming up next. But right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Today's minicast is from the Rita Cosby Show. Here Rita says D.A. Alvin Bragg is not above the law. Alvin Bragg has now decided, well, he's above the law, that he does not have to respond to any subpoenas. He doesn't want his former colleague, the former prosecutor, who was there in the DA's office with Alvin Bragg, Mark Pomerantz, who was critical of him, again at the time because he had not done the subpoena. And so he's trying to block him from testifying. He's basically saying that it is an overreach, that it is a stretch in every which way but loose. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a deal near you. They are the world's best built boilers. Let's start in Cleveland where the Yankees held off the Guardians 4-3 to to take the finale of their fourth consecutive series to start the year. Who else but the surprising power lefty and Franchi Cordero stayed red hot, blasting a solo shot in the seventh uh, to tie the game at three. The round tripper for Cordero gives him four on the season. Now good for a tie for the team lead with none other than Aaron Judge. Franchi also leads the team in RBI with 11. He and the rest of the Yanks will try and stay hot tonight when they welcome in the Minnesota Twins to kick off a three-game set in the Bronx. Johnny Brito will get the ball going up against Minnesota's Joe Ryan for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. As for the Metropolitans, they completed a series win as well with their 5-2 win over the San Diego Padres in Queens in the series finale yesterday. Pete Alonso played the difference maker with his league-leading sixth dinger of the year to put New York up 3-2 in the fifth. Tyler McGill got the much-deserved win on the Is bump. Is Pete Alonso the greatest baseball I, player will, ever? Will you not be ridiculous well, I saw a list on ESPN. He's right behind Mike Trout. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just ahead of Joe DiMaggio. They're one and two behind Mickey Mantle yeah. and Babe Ruth, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> Tyler Mitko gets the win for the Mets. Allowing just two earned runs on three hits. The Mets will open up a three-game set in Oakland tomorrow night after an off day today on the ice. The Islanders needed every bit of their regular season to finally clinch a playoff berth with their 4-2 to win over the Montreal Canadiens last night in their regular season finale. Brock Nelson scored twice for the Isles. They'll now await the outcome of the Florida Panthers-Carolina Hurricanes game tonight to determine their first-round opponent. Looking ahead to ice hockey action tonight, though, locally, the Rangers wrap up their regular season at the Garden at 7 p.m. against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Devils will round out their you know, schedule. I, uh, um, you know, I was invited by Joe Tacopina tonight to go to the last Ranger game of the year. Yeah, but it, they're not going to play any. You know. Not only that, but uh, Joe Tacopina got a phone call yesterday that his daughter, hmm. who lives in London, Ooh. is about to give birth. Oh. So Joe Tacopina's birthday is tomorrow. Oh, He's wow. April 14th. I'm April 19th. And his very first grandchild may very well be born tomorrow on his birthday. He's in Europe until Monday. Oh, wow. Tell this is know. the inside info that I get. That's, wow. Your Even phone. Trump doesn't know this. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's not very pertinent to Trump's case. but No, it's not. I mean, no. you know. Well, he has to come back, actually, to do Trump's case, right. the rape allegation of Dolph Goodman 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congrats, okay. Joe. you got to come back, though, Joe. Yeah. you got to come back. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it. Congratulations. <laughs> Just make it back. Somehow. Just make it back, Joe. I love yeah. you. You know you're the best. <laughs> yeah. Just finish this damn report. You're somehow tying ice hockey yeah, in, totally into, the, into the Trump indictment. So, so, you're somehow <laughs> doing that. <laughs> you got the Rangers at 7 and 8. They get to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Devils wrap up uh, their season as well. They're in Washington against the Capitals at 7 p.m. NBA play-in tournament last night. Chicago Bulls win uh, 109-105 against the Toronto Raptors. And out west, the 10-seed Oklahoma City Thunder. They survive 123-118 to 118 to the 9-seed New Orleans Pelicans. Here was sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. This is sit in friends in the morning. Friends, how many of us have them? 77 WABC. President Biden's approval ranks right up there with jock itch. Already 68 degrees and sunny. We'll have highs today hovering around 90. Hot and sunny day. I can't wait to get out there. Tomorrow about 85, and then that's it. Right back to winter and spring for about 10 days. But these three days have been fun. That was John Kennedy talking about Joe Biden. Always uh, funny stuff there. I love that guy. So Frank Morano is the host of The Other Side of Midnight. And he is a great host. He's great. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't talk a lot about other hosts. In fact, uh, when I do, most of the time, it's not always all that nice. And I, people get mad at me for that, and that's fine. But uh, Frank Morano happens to be a great talent. And his show, The Other Side of Midnight, gets humongous ratings. I mean, uh, you know, we got uh, a nine for the third week of March. And we're going to be somewhere between a seven, six, and an eight for the winter book. And again, I know for you folks out there, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but the easiest way to explain it is if you pick three, not one, not two, but three of your favorite political shows in this town and add up all their ratings, 
they wouldn't equate to what I get. They wouldn't equate. That's how monstrous these numbers are, especially in mornings when, you know, we go up against the big guys, FAN, 10-10 wins, CBS. Now, the winter book doesn't come out until next week, but now we're, um, I guess, we're 11 twelfths of the way in, and this is historic what we're doing here. Well, Frank gets those ratings too overnight. He does a about a 12 and comes in first almost every time. I think he finished second once. That's how uh, that's how great he is. So here he is, my friend, who of course is on before me most mornings. In between uh, me and him, of course, is Noam, the great Frank Morato. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Sid. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on those uh, early numbers so far that uh, that we're seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing the whole ratings book. You're, you're carrying the whole station. <laughs> no, you're doing a great job too. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, yeah, it was exciting to see those numbers yesterday. A point five market share, which is. <laughs> I mean, point five. That's no, not market share, market rating. Yeah, well, right. That's exactly. Well, it's a share, really, because the rating is the nine, right? No, the share is the nine. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, because the share is the. See, percentage. he knows more than me. Well, no, out of every hundred radios right now, nine are tuned to you. That's the easiest way. No, that's pretty good. That ain't bad in this city, right, Frank? No. Oh, that ain't that's bad. Not bad. That's not bad in <laughs> yeah. any city. So, uh, President Trump is back in town as of last night. And he's meeting with Letitia James this morning. It was announced yesterday that President Trump is suing his former attorney, Michael Cohen, for $500 million. That means nothing. You can sue him for $500 billion. doesn't matter. He is just making a statement that you're not going to F with me, and I'm not going to come back at you. So he is suing Michael Cohen. But you uh, made a point to me this morning, which is very, very interesting, that the Trump judge in the Alvin Bragg case made a campaign contribution to Joe Biden. Now, you tell me, Frank Morano, how is that not a conflict? You know, it's a blatant conflict, Sid. And this is one of those things where people that don't pay attention to this stuff, they hear what I'm about to describe, and they think, okay, it's not that big of a deal. This is a very big deal. I'm going to explain to folks why. So Judge Juan Marchan, who is the judge that's handling this criminal case in Manhattan, he donated $35 to Democratic causes in 2020, $15 to Biden's campaign directly, $10 to a group dedicated to, quote, resisting Donald Trump's radical right-wing legacy. And so he gave $15 to Biden for president and then $10 the next day to the Progressive Turnout Project and the same day a group called Stop Republicans. So the guy made... $35 worth of political contributions. Now, let's talk about the fact that he contributed to a guy uh, who was running against the man whose trial that he's now supposed to be fair and impartial during, which affects everything, not just sentencing. It affects affects what jurors are excused, what evidence is allowed in, uh, whether there's a change of venue or not. It's just so such a blatant conflict of interest. I am shocked he didn't recuse himself from the beginning. But here's what's more outrageous. And folks may think, all right, it's only $35. Who cares? If you look at the rules that govern judges in this state, uh, the New York State Code of Judicial Conduct, Section 100.5, it says a judge or candidate for, uh, uh, for, for judicial office shall refrain from inappropriate political activity. And the first thing it lists is making political contributions. So this judge, not while he was a candidate for judge, because he was never elected, he was appointed. 
while he was on the bench, made a political contribution in clear violation of the uh, rules that govern judges. So if this guy doesn't even follow the rules that govern judges, how can he be tasked Hmm. with upholding the rules that lawyers are supposed to follow? So what I'm going to be doing is I'm writing a letter to the Office of Court Administration and the administrative judge for the criminal term in Manhattan, Ellen Biven, asking that Judge Mershon be sanctioned because this is totally inappropriate behavior for any judge. And honestly, and this is the God's honest truth, I would be saying the same thing if the situation was reversed and he was presiding over Hunter Biden's trial, because it has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. You can't just allow judges to ignore their own rules willy-nilly. All those same people that were calling for uh, Clarence Thomas to be impeached because he went on uh, some vacations with a billionaire friend of his, I hope those same voices say so just as loudly in the case of Juan Marchand clearly violating the rules he's supposed to follow. You know, you just did uh, really an outstanding job, and this is why I bring you on. This is why you get high ratings yourself of of breaking down this whole Judge Trump-Biden situation. But all I can remember about all of it is these two words, (laughs) willy-nilly. Who says that? (laughs) How old are you, Frank? Nilly. No, that was great. So listen, so Melissa DeRosa is going to come on this show later on today. And I gave her the same exact criteria I offered to Andrew Cuomo, who chickened out, which is, if you ever come on this show, you have to discuss one, if not both, of the major issues, which include the nursing home deaths and or bail reform. She cannot discuss the nursing home deaths yet. She's got a very viable reason. It's not about the court cases. I love Janice Dean. It's not about that. But she will discuss bail reform today, and I think she's going to take the bullet. We'll see. That's coming up at 925. But she also wants to discuss Kathy Hochul. She hates Hochul. She hates her. And uh, Hochul, of course, could not get LaSalle confirmed. Now we've got a new guy, Rowan Wilson. I know you're all over this. What's going on in that situation? Well, this is a terrible pick uh, by Governor Hochul. Uh, <laughs> Governor Hochul's last pick, uh, Judge LaSalle, would have done a great job and would have maintained the integrity of the Court of Appeals. Uh, Rowan Wilson, who was appointed to the court by Andrew Cuomo in 2017, and it's great that you get Melissa DeRosa on um, on this show because she w- was really inside seeing how the sausage was made, and she can offer an Albany insider's perspective like no other, and she's clearly a smart lady. But uh, – This continues to be one of the ways in which Andrew Cuomo is still screwing New Yorkers. Since he was appointed in 2017, there's been a block of two liberal justices that are always on the far left. And over the last two years, there's there's seven judges on the Court of Appeals. The four right-leaning judges, and they're all appointed by Democrats, so there's no uh, Scalia's or Sam Alito's on this court. They're all Democratic judges. The four right-leaning of those judges have stopped crazy radical uh, law from crazy radical law from coming to fruition, including the crazy gerrymandering lines. Now, now, Hector LaSalle would have been in that tradition. Now it's 6-6. There's been deadlock after deadlock. So whoever the seventh vote is, is going to break the tie. Now, um, Hochul had an incredible opportunity to just keep the person who's the acting chief now, Anthony Canataro. He's he's gay, but he happens to be a pretty 
common sense justice. No, she is bowing to the far left wing legislature by appointing Rowan Wilson. And this is going to dramatically, not a little bit, totally shift the court from a 4-3 common sense right-leaning direction to a 4-3 extreme left-wing Andrea Stewart-Cousins direction. And there's no reason that it had to be done. Um, Hochul should have stuck to her guns and appointed another judge like LaSalle. Instead, she totally caved to the legislature, and it's not clear to me that she's gotten anything, uh, anything at all in exchange for it. Wow. All right, about uh, 60 seconds to go, Frankie, maybe two minutes. I think you heard me mention my friendship over the years with Jim Allen, who, of course, is responsible for all the hard rocks around the world. He opened up the hard rock in Atlantic City. Uh, I was there with Bernard when they first opened. I broke uh, guitars on stage with Michael B. Jordan, Max Weinberg, and a host of others. So I, uh, I enjoy those Atlantic City casinos once in a while. I really like oceans, to be honest. But uh, you love that place. You've got a serious problem, which you refuse to address. That's fine. Yes, that's right. Uh, (laughs) But it turns out, I guess, Frank, that, uh, you know, your uh, your places there in Atlantic City, those casinos, I guess, according to you, they are still struggling. Yes? Yeah, uh, that's true. And uh, Jim Allen did do a great job. And I was there that weekend, too. I didn't get to smash any guitars, but I was in the crowd watching you guys. And um, the uh, the new president of Atlantic City Hard Rock, George Goldhoff, certainly has large shoes to fill taken over for for Jim Allen. But some data released Monday paints a pretty bleak picture. The nine casinos in Atlantic City, they uh, reported a uh, $731 million gross operating profit. That's a decline of nearly 5% from a year prior. Now, that's before these three New York City casinos are are open. So the numbers already are not keeping up with where they were a year ago. Forget about where things were in 2019 pre-pandemic. And out of all nine casinos, only two of them uh, actually did better. I think it was Ocean as uh, as one, and yeah. I'm not sure of the other one. It might have been it, uh, Hard Rock. Uh, what's the big one? Uh, everybody well, knows. the Borgata. Borgata. They took a yeah. dip. Yeah. They took, they're still far and away the leader, but they took quite a dip compared to where they were wow. uh, a year ago and the year before that. So uh, it's, you know, I'm not quite ready to write the the obituary for the AC casinos yet, but I think they've become too reliant on uh, the online get gambling yeah. and not just the sports betting, but the uh, online gambling that people are doing. And people are seeing there's more and more places to gamble if you're into brick and mortar casinos. I know there's a lot of renovations coming coming the water club at borgata they are rebranding they're calling it something else that's going to be state-of-the-art ocean is is re, is uh renovating and even caesars is pumping tens of millions of dollars into that property so there's some exciting things happening including a new water park for kids that's opening next month right right at the showboat but uh this it's difficult and i look at atlantic city as optimistically as anybody does it's difficult to be excited about mm. these numbers yeah. if you're an atlantic city advocate no oh, yeah yeah i mean there's there's nothing uh, more pleasant on a hot, sunny summer afternoon than seeing some 96-year-old lady smoking a cigarette, <laughs> dumping quarters into a machine so she can't pay her rent next month. There's nothing well, more, there's nothing more 
This might finally be the uh, the year where they do away with smoking in casinos. The guy that had stopped that was Steve Sweeney, but obviously Sweeney's out of office now. And before he becomes governor, they view this, the unions who've been trying to do away with smoking in casinos for years, they view this as the uh, the opportunity that they have to uh, finally do it. So we'll see. All right, listen, you are great. Your show, Other Side of Midnight, is terrific. I do listen every morning on the way in. I think you're great. And you become one of my best friends in the business. I can't believe it after all the horrible things that Jill Vitale said that you said about me all those years. <laughs> but uh, I really, I think the world of you, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And uh, tell Carmine Uncle Sid says hello. I, I will. I will. We'll take the kids to the water park at Showboat together. Love you, Sid. Love you, have too. A great show. Appreciate great job. That guy's great, man. And he's just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. There's not a mean bone in Frank Morano's body and a great talent. Folks. When we get back, hour number two, I'm so excited about this. We're going live to London. I'm not kidding you. Former member of Parliament, the man responsible for Brexit, big Trump supporter. You love this guy, Nigel Farage, set to join me live from across the pond. Coming up at the home of the news, hour number two. WABC. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. So, big news <laughs> about the royal coronation that would be of King Charles. Prince Harry will indeed attend the event, but his wife, Meghan Markle, will not be there. Oh. Now, reports have labeled planning for the event a circus due to Harry's delay in answering his invitation, but at the same time, you have to say that. Archie, uh, Harry and Meghan's son, it is his fourth birthday. My daughter, Ava, who turned 19 on Friday, uh, goes to college in Wales. Yeah, daughters change a lot of things. You, right? yeah. you were just I was just the there. Bond. Yes, we went to visit Ava in Wales and London just last weekend. Easter Sunday, we were at Buckingham Palace. Oh, well, Lonnie, And I have to tell you, I'm into all <laughs> What do you mean? This is great stuff. you got Meghan Markle. you got Prince Harry. Oh, He's man. fighting with his father. The queen is dead, as you no, know. No, that's all good story. <laughs> really? He's yeah, she's out there. Really? Yeah. He's not out there. Covered that at all? It's <laughs> 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 like I was yeah. on TV yeah. for like three weeks. See, she died of natural causes. There was no story. I still really want to know why Princess oh. Diana died. We're not going to oh, go there. Come we on, go. we're That's not going to go there. Like I really like to know that. But yeah, I, I think the King hole. Charles thing is interesting. There's a lot of history there. Twins, King for Just One Day, and that was the audio for my appearance alongside my dear friend and colleague Laura Curran on American Agenda yesterday with Katrina and Bob Sellers talking about the royal coronation, and I really was just in Wales and London just a week ago. That brings me to my next guest. I love this guy. He's the father of Brexit, but also has the number one rated news and political show in England. It's called Farage. 
that's on the GB News. It's like the Fox News of the U.K. People can watch it in the U.S. at www.gbnews.uk. It's 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Thursday. I really fell in love with this guy when I saw him speak at a Trump rally in Seattle right before Trump lost to Biden. He's joined me once. He may not remember, but he may. And he's back again today, Nigel Farage. Nigel, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning. How could I forget Sid appearing on your show before? Impossible. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. I'm, I'm humbled and honored that you said that. I really do love you. And I got to tell you, uh, I was in England. Uh, again, my daughter Ava goes to uh, Cardiff in Wales. So we spent two days there and took the, the express train to London. And I, Man, I live in New York City, Nigel. And guess what? We've got a financial district. We've got a theater district. In fact, I stayed in the theater district in uh, London. It's basically the same city, but here's the difference. In London, I don't see homeless people. I don't see feces on the streets. People aren't getting shot in broad daylight. I saw a guy drop a wrapper on the ground, and he picked it up in a matter of two seconds. And by the way, London isn't exactly wealthy. They're kind of broke. Can you tell me why London looks like that and my city looks like this? Well, I think a lot of New York, of course, is about who's been running New York and, you know, a series of mayors that have been incredibly weak on law and order, um, drugs just being allowed to be everywhere. I mean, I can promise you things in London aren't perfect, but you're quite right. It's a lot better than modern day New York. And the tragedy of that, you know, I started coming to New York in the middle, late 80s on a regular basis on business. You know, when Giuliani got a hold of New York, he made it a great city again. And sadly, it's now in a real mess. So, yeah, you know, the nice parts of London are still really nice. And uh, I'm talking to you from the heart of St. James's, really ancient oh, part I love of the it. city. Yep. And I've just, I've just passed the Abbey. Um, and the stands are going up for people, for the cameras. So we're getting into full coronation mm. mode here. I know. We, uh, Danielle and I actually last Saturday, Nigel, my daughter took a, a plane to Spain after celebrating her birthday at an Italian restaurant in London on Friday night. So we took a big bus tour. And uh, we've been there a million times, but why not? It was a nice day. We had a couple of hours to kill. So we went past Westminster Abbey and the palace and all that great stuff. And, yes, they're getting ready for the coronation. But before that, Nigel... My wife has run 39 marathons. She's got the Abbott Award, which includes the major six, including London. So before the coronation on May 6th, you've got a big marathon Sunday coming up, April 23rd. Yeah, we do, uh, which also happens to be our national day for English. It's, it's St. George's Day, so that's going to be a good day. London Marathon, very well-established fixture, and probably the biggest single event that happens here every year, raising money for charities and good causes. And there's the competitive bit for the few dozen people at the front. And for everybody else, it's a bit of fun and a chance to raise money for charity. So a really good thing. I didn't realize it was a national day, kind of like Patriots Day here in the United States, uh, Boston. They run the marathon every year. They play a Boston Red Sox baseball game at 11 o'clock. And by the way, Nigel, this Monday happens to be the 10-year commemoration of the tragic Boston bombing at those marathons. But uh, listen, I, uh, they, they, the London people, they get drunk. They have a blast. They enjoy it. But I do want to get to the coronation because... I have to be honest, Nigel, I never cared about the royal stuff. In fact, it kind of annoyed me. But for some reason, 
ever since Harry married Meghan, I can't get enough of it. And uh, I'm watching I'm watching local TV in London Saturday night at the Waldorf, and all I'm watching is the back and forth with Oprah Winfrey on Netflix. I mean, it is a real drama at this point and a real issue between Harry and Charles. I know he'll be the Meghan movie. They're using Archie as an excuse. But this has become a real issue between his own son and the royal family, yes? Yeah, I mean, what's happened is a complete and absolute disgrace. I mean, Harry was a, you know, he was a serving soldier, two tours of Afghanistan. He liked to drink. He liked to laugh. He was Jack the Lad. He was possibly the most popular royal there's ever been in history. And suddenly he meets Meghan Markle. And sort of almost overnight, he becomes a victim. But he's had this terrible upbringing. I mean, imagine, Sid, how terrible it must be to <laughs> grow up at a royal palace with butlers and chauffeurs and private planes and lots well, of you know, money. But let, me, let me stop you for a second because, Nigel, you know this. There's a lot of celebrity kids who grew up the same way you just talked about. Imagine growing up in Beverly Hills or Central Park, and they turn out to be druggies. Because the truth is, believe it or not, as great as it sounds to a lot of us, it does become overwhelming for some young kids. So I, I, give, a, I give Harry a little more sensitivity than most people. Well, I don't. Um, he was brought up not just to be a rich kid, but to be a royal. And with all that privilege, if you're a member of the royal family, comes something called duty. All right? The two operate together. He turned his back on that duty, clearly encouraged to do it by Meghan. Uh, they've gone out, they've sold their story, they've abused their family, they've been vile about his own brother, about his father. I mean, their behaviour has been terrible. Now, I think it's right, despite all of that, it is right that Harry comes to the coronation. After all, it, it, it isn't just the king, it is his father. Uh, and there may be some, some reconciliation there. But let me assure you of one thing. We are only borrowing Harry from America wow. For a, wow. for a couple of days, wow. you put them back. Those two are yours for keeps. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want them. I mean, I know they just bought this beautiful <laughs> house in California. But, so, but yeah, and look, Nigel, you really do speak for the people of England like I do for the people of New York. We're both uh, number one. And uh, you, you really sound like you dislike this kid. And, and you laid out perfectly how he was a hero and a lovable kid and so cute. Mm. But clearly, uh, your folks out there, they, they really don't like him, huh? No, he's, he's deeply unpopular. Meghan, I think, is even more unpopular. Um, and I, there's no way back. There's no way back. British public opinion will not change. We can forgive people mistakes, but to go out to the world's media and to reveal intimate, private conversations with the rest of your family, I mean, it's nothing short of disgusting. Well, the Queen is gone, and everybody loved the Queen. Like, everybody loved the Queen. <laughs> I don't think King Charles has that same type of following, and certainly the consort queen, the lovely Camilla, uh, doesn't have nearly that. And Charles has done some pretty nasty stuff along the way. So you tell me, just weeks ahead of the coronation, how do the English people feel, for the most part, about King Charles III? The queen was irreplaceable, a lifetime of service. You know, the last significant public figure in the world who'd worn uniform during World War II, 70 years on the throne. The head of the Commonwealth, which has two and a half billion people living within it. A truly remarkable woman. Charles can't replicate that kind of love and popularity. Of course he can't. Uh, but what he can do is to be dutiful. What he can do is to be caring 
about his subjects and about our relationships with all these Commonwealth countries around the world. And he will do that to the very best of his ability, because he's basically a nice man. The trouble is, he is so hooked up into the global warming religion that he often he often strays off into politics. So he needs to keep on the straight and narrow. As for the Queen Consort, Camilla, well, she was the devil because, of course, she was the woman that usurped the lovely, wonderful, beautiful Diana. But you know what? Over 20 years, she hasn't put a foot wrong. And I think now the British people are more than ready to embrace her, not as Queen Consort, but fully as Queen, obviously number two to the King, after Coronation Day. She has won back public affection through hard work, through duty, through propriety, something Harry and Meghan said would never be capable of. Wow, Nigel Farage, again, the father of Brexit, but uh, number one political show in England, Farage. Check it out on uh, GB News, 2 to 3, Eastern, Monday through Thursday. Let's move from your country to mine. Again, I fell in love with you that day in Seattle, Nigel. You were out there and supporting Donald Trump in a very, very big way. You know he's under fire here. He, uh, the Alvin Bragg case in New York, now he's back in New York again as of last night for a different deal with Letitia James. He's got a rape allegation he's got to face next week. He's got January 6th. He's got Mar-a-Lago. He's got all this nonsense. And they're looking for any way to get this guy. Now, I took a cab in Wales. And I spoke to my cab driver because I'm interested to hear how people think about Trump in other places. And it's a very anecdotal story. I get it. Two or three cab drivers. But most of the folks I spoke to between Wales and London hate Donald Trump. I know you don't. No, he's had a very bad press over here and possibly quite an unfair one. Um, And his manner, you know, it's a very, very, to most British people, it's a very brash manner. Um, But he's had very, very few people speaking up for him. I mean, I have never wavered in my support of Trump since 2016 through good times and bad, through one or two tweets that I would rather he hadn't sent. But I've never wavered in my support for him. Uh, Look, you know, I don't know anybody who's received more abuse uh, than Trump. You know, the Russia hoax, Mueller, uh, impeachments, uh, now all this legal stuff. he is an incredibly tough bloke. I mean, he is the he's the modern-day equivalent of a sort of a warrior from ancient times, the biggest man in the tribe uh, that leads people and goes into battle. He's incredibly brave. He will survive all of this legal stuff. It won't be nice, but it's designed to destroy him. He will survive it. And I have to say, I genuinely think that he's now got a better than 50% chance of winning back the presidency next November. You know, Boris Johnson was a guy that uh, me and Bernie started to like here in the United States because he had a lot of similarities to Donald Trump. And then, you know, once Trump lost, Boris started sucking up to Joe Biden. So me and Bernie couldn't stand him at that point. But uh, Boris is gone. And, you know, Liz Truss came in for about 15 minutes. She did the Anthony Scaramucci deal. This guy, Sunak, how's he doing so far there as prime minister in your country? He's our first Goldman Sachs prime minister. He's a complete globalist. Um, He's put taxes up to the highest in 70 years. He's not a conservative. He's a liberal social democrat. And I'm afraid that's where politics is. That at the moment is is where your politics is. But with Trump, you've got to like him or dislike him for his manner, for what he says. At least America will have a real choice at the next election. And I believe it'll take the right one. 
I got to tell you, on the way out here, Nigel, as you get set to do your show, because I know you guys are five hours ahead. It's lunchtime for you, 1230. Uh, My wife and I love London so much. And, again, it's clean. It's beautiful. It's got culture. It's got history. Even the parts that aren't all that nice, we seem to enjoy. Danielle said to me one morning, she goes, I got to tell you, I think if you came here, they would love you. You got that New York Brooklyn accent. You can talk American politics. You can talk European politics. You can talk about soccer and the Mets and the Yankees. I said, Danielle, do you want to move to London? And I said, wait a second. What if I did mornings and Nigel did afternoons on the same station? How would that go? <laughs> well, you never know. You could easily come here. And who knows? Maybe I'll come, maybe I'll come there soon. Well, <laughs> you never know. You never know what the future may hold. I got to tell you, a Sid and Nigel combination right. sounds great to me, man. Hey, thank you for hopping <laughs> on this morning. Thank you ever so much. Thank, thank you. you. God bless you. There he is, folks. Number one in the U.K., and they got a couple of big weeks ahead. The London Marathon coming up April 23. King Charles coronation coming up on May the 6th. we got all their own issues there, but still a very loyal Donald Trump guy, as you heard. That's my friend Nigel Farage. Isn't he great? Right, we'll uh, take a short break. Off to a tremendous start with Frank Morano and Nigel Farage. Still to come this hour, Bill O'Reilly's morning message. And then coming up. At 7.40, we'll talk to Judge Napolitano with guys like Bill O'Reilly, Bo Deedle, and Melissa DeRosa still on the way. The Thursday edition of New York's favorite talk show. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Sitting on the doorstep of the house again to fall. Julian Lennon here, John Lennon's son, fresh off for a conversation with Nigel Farage, who was live in that beautiful St. James District in London this morning. Both guys are great, Morano and uh, Nigel. That was fun. We'll talk to Judge Napolitano, Noam, Bill O'Reilly, Bo Deedle, Melissa DeRosa. All of that is still to come. What a gorgeous day. So when I flew to London, you know, I have these uh, hearing aids, you know. Leslie Slender got this on for me years ago. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, not that I'm an expert on hearing aids, 
But these things are the best. No one even knows, they don't even know I have them. You can't see them. They stick them all the way into your ear canal. You can't see them. And they work great. And they last a couple of months. And I go see uh, Dr. Shelley Borgia. I love her. Every couple of months and at an office here in New York City. And she changes them and puts in new ones. And they're good to go. But I noticed uh, when I fly, and I'm 35,000 feet up there, my ears pop. You know how that works. So since I'm a little kid, my dad, my late father Harvey, who I love and miss, he would um, kind of simulate blowing his nose, and that would unpop your ears. You know what I'm talking about, Lewis, right? Uh, yeah, I'm following you so far. Yes, I got you. So when you take a seven-hour flight, which I did back and forth to London last week, my ears popped quite a bit, so I found myself blowing my nose quite a bit to unpop my ears, and I think I may have dislodged one of these hearing aids because, well, I can't hear anything, so not be nothing. Now, the good news is you've been here before with me. When you do a radio show, I've got these amplified earphones, so you can hear no matter what. But as soon as I take these headphones off, I can't hear anything. So I just contacted uh, Dr. Shelley Borgia. Hopefully she's up. And get me into the office here today. I'm going to go all day without, uh, like, like Danielle just called me, for example. She loved the Nigel interview, but I couldn't hear her. <laughs> She's got to love that. Yeah. Well, why she doesn't you... believe me. She's like, oh, okay. You know. Why didn't you hold the phone up to your other ear? No, both ears, I think, are an issue. Oh. It's a good question, though. Mm. Yeah, but I'm feeling like both ears are an issue. Okay. Well, I don't know. We'll see. So. so you're, like, totally, completely and utterly screwed. I'm a mess. Yeah. No, no, I'll go to the office today right after the show. They're on 40th and 5th at walking distance. I'll still get to the, uh, you know, the uh, the water by noon. Plenty of time to get some sun and enjoy my day. But it looks like, you know, almost every day now, I've got something else to do. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, for, for for the better part of 54 years, I was pretty much okay. And I turned 55 this year. I turned 56, God willing, on Wednesday. Just send cash. I um, 55 <laughs> has been a nightmare. I mean, a nightmare. You know, my teeth are killing me. Thank God that's fixed now. I'm okay. My leg, my right leg, I've got some type of sciatica. I don't even know what the hell it is. My back is killing me. My ears don't work. I mean, thank God, you know, the big guy is uh, is still great. Oh, pray to God. Once that goes, you just jump out of a window. There's no reason to even stay alive. I mean, oh, I just put that together, what you meant by the big guy. Oh, yeah, we got that. Oh, my God. Fast, Justin. Yeah, really cool. <laughs> yeah, I just put that I together. I thought, you were yeah. I thought you were talking about God for a second. Yeah. I was like, what? And by the way, I've got a lot of, I got a lot of nerve <laughs> calling him the big guys, too. I really do. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your ratings are big, but uh, let's still that. That's probably the reason why his big guy's been unoccupied for a little while. <laughs> Ah. The ironies are all over the place. You yeah. know who you sound like. Ironies everywhere. Yeah, we can do this all day. Who do I sound like? There's somebody we worked with for a long time. And who would that be, Lewis? Well, you, you, you can't have missed the, the, the similarities in what I've heard for 28 years. And what I've been hearing for the better part of one year, which is, you know, there was a time when I was very critical of Donald Trump until Bernard said to me one day, God rest his soul, well, you just like him. You would just like him. No, somebody else we work Correct. Okay. And that brings oh. me to this guy. Oh, all right. Another guy I've, I've been critical of over the years. And I can't tell you how many times, Lewis, I swear, I'm not exaggerating, over the last couple of months, people say, you are Imus. Yeah, sounds You're exactly Imus. like him. All of the big Imus fans, Olivero, Mason, Smullian, they listen to this show from all over the country. Smullian is in Indianapolis. Mason's in D.C., they love this show because they loved Imus. 
And people tell me every day that I'm starting to sound more like him, which is a huge compliment. I don't talk rodeo. I don't cough. <laughs> but I do complain about every ailment, and i got to tell you, I'm making myself sick. No, you start off segments the way you used to start off. Well, you know, my back is absolutely, and that would go for 10 minutes. Right, right. And now you're starting, you know, my ears, I wear these things that go in and into grave detail about where the in, in, instrument is yeah. placed in yeah. your ear. No, no. Well, listen. Sad. I, I, I always say to people, look, radio, we're not creating anything new here. We're just not. Like, people, if you think you're innovative or doing something new and exciting, you're not. So here's how you become a great radio guy, which I've already accomplished. You go out there and emulate people who are great at it, and then, in your own style, you present it. So if I said to you, I worked along on and off, Rhymes for 18 years, I was a Stern guest a bunch of times, even hosted one of Howard Stern's most popular Howard TV shows, Whack Pack Bowling, Listen to Mike and the Mad Dog every day. Worked alongside a guy like Neil Rogers in Miami. Listen to, you know, Phil Hendry and all these guys over the years. I did all that. Rush Limbaugh, too. Although, Rush, i never really a big Rush fan. I understand why he was great and all that, but it was, I found him boring. I actually thought Michael Savage was a better listen. But I take a little piece of all of them, right, and then with your own Brooklyn staccato style, you deliver it your way and then add some of the stuff of your own personal life, that's how you get big ratings. You, you want to emulate the guys who are great. Because, again, hate to break it to you, young guys out there, and even veterans out there, you're not doing anything today someone hasn't done. Nothing. Don't be afraid to fight with somebody inside your radio station. Don't be afraid to talk about your wife and kids. Don't be afraid to make fun of yourself. Don't be afraid to go away from what makes you comfortable. If you're a political show... Talk about flowers. Talk about the giants. Do something that makes your show relatively unpredictable because when people know what they're getting, there's a segment of the population that loves that, loves it, and that's usually good for about a 2.7. Everybody else is bored. And the one thing you can say about me in this radio show, for all the criticism I get on the Internet from you lowlives, this show ain't boring, and it certainly ain't predictable. All right, Judge Napolitano <laughs> coming up next. And Joe Nolan, I think I can't hear anything. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. She may be the face.
Say I like it. Yes, I like it. The Cure, great song. Nice job, Lou Rapino. 744, you're gorgeous. Gonna be a hot one today, Thursday morning, close to 90 here in New York. I think Fonzie's coming on Tuesday. Is that uh, right, Justin? Henry Winkler? Yeah, that's correct. But he's not coming out to talk about happy days because, well, that's been over for a couple of weeks. No. <laughs> he's in this show, Barry. Yeah, he's good in it, too. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, I'm actually caught up on Barry. No, you're not. Yes, I am. You should watch then it. Maybe you should do the interview because right, I've seen three episodes. Maybe I will. I just want to ask him, if, you know, about him banging Marion Ross. and You're not going to ask him what it was like to be the Paz. Yeah, that's all I care about. Yeah, that's, all, I that's talk all, about. literally anybody cares about. I know. Barry, I mean, God. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he, he is one of the, the most annoying liberals ever, yeah. Fonzie. You know, he's a Jewish guy and uh, wants to be Italian, a lot like me, but he's a liberal. And then, uh, you know, he was great in the movie Night Shift. Yeah, he was. Which is a Ron Howard movie. He was great, man, him and Michael Keaton. But uh, Barry, I mean, my God. i got to ask Art Sears if I could spend one question on Barry and the rest on, you know, the real stuff. Potsy, you know, Ralph Mouth, Joni and Chachi. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, exactly what that was like on the set of that movie. (laughs) Shelley Long, a hip-naked Shelley Long. He's going to enjoy entertaining questions about Night Shift <laughs> yeah, from yeah. 35 years ago. Well, he's been on with me before, and I think he he, he, uh, he was okay. He wasn't great. Yeah. But he's the fun, so. Right. Yeah. My next guest is great. He's on every Thursday at this time. Long career of television and radio. My good friend, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge, happy Thursday morning. How are you, buddy? Good. How are you, my man? Missed you uh, last week. It was great to be on with the Catman and Dominic, but uh, there's only one Sid. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. I actually called in uh, that day when you were on uh, live with uh, John, Dominic, and Chad from, uh, I was in, I think I was still in Wales that day, not London yet. Yes. But I went to yes. see my daughter. Yeah, yeah. But listen, yes. uh, I just had Niles Farage on. We talked about the coronation for the king coming up, but... I did spend time talking to him about the differences between London and New York. Really, the cities are very, very similar. More people here, obviously. But the difference is huge. I'm talking about filth and homeless and crime. There are no guns, of course, in London. It is just, it is really stark walking down Fidei in London or the Theater District in London and here in New York, and I don't understand why we're okay with that. So I took Mayor Eric Adams to task pretty good last night on Jesse Waters on Fox News, and the mayor's a friend of mine, but I've just about had enough, Judge. I, I'm I'm with you. You know, I live in New Jersey now, but I'm in the city two or three times uh, a week, uh, and it seems to be uh, – dirtier, more disorganized, less welcoming than I can remember. You know, I lived in Manhattan for many, many years, and it's just not the same. It's not Eric Adams' personal fault. It's just the culture of government and and the services that it fails to provide and the culture of people and their their lack of cleanliness and concern for everybody else. I mean, I I can't describe it in any other way, but I fully agree with you. I got to tell you this. Yeah, I mean, Judge, I actually took, uh, it's called the Underground and or the Tube. That's the subway in London. Judge, you can eat off the floors. Forgetting about yeah. homeless guys masturbating in front of you. You can eat off the floors. Yeah. Yes, I was in um, uh, Switzerland. I, I spent a lot of time in Zurich. A friend of mine is a law professor there, and I, I uh, he has me give some lectures for him. You get on the Underground in Zurich. Nobody gets on until everybody gets off. Right. I mean, it is so polite. 
so convenient. They don't do that here. So and i got to tell you, the worst are the Asian people. God bless them. They, they just run right into me every time I try to get onto them. They don't care. They just don't care. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Sid, everybody wants to touch you. Everybody wants to touch you. I guess so. You were talking about about hearing before. I have the opposite problem from you. My hearing is so good and so sensitive. So when I'm at Mass, for example, I complain to the priest, Father, the organ is driving me crazy. I can't stand it. He goes, you're the only one complaining. It's at a normal volume. Wow. You're going to have to wear you're going to have to wear earmuffs because from that little IFB that little piece they used to put in our ears uh, at Fox all the years I was there it made my hearing more sensitive and the sound engineers couldn't get it low enough wow so that it was comfortable for me so I have literally the opposite problem that you do Isn't I've never correct? heard this before I mean yes you do because uh, nine and a half out of ten people, like Steve Summers, for example, the brilliant WFAN legend, he can hear, I can hear, 22 years of these cans in my ears doing oh, radio. Yeah. You're the only guy that's the other extreme. I've never heard that before. I'm going to tell you a secret. Brian Kilmeade, super jock, wonderful human being, yes. tone deaf, deaf as can be. I mean, the two of us did radio together. The only thing we fought over was the volume <laughs> in studio. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about him, though. Ear doctor, yeah. brilliant, brilliant guy named Chris Sherry at Hackensack University Medical Center. He's got a number of patents on devices they use to fix the ears. And he said that this happens to about 10% of people in our business. 90% suffer the way you and Brian do, 10% uh, the way I do. It's uh, It's very strange. I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> no, they're, they're, you're right. They're, they're, any extreme is no good, right? Whether we're talking our ears or politics, we like we like to have things in moderation, Judge Napolitano. And that brings us to the extremes that Alvin Bragg is going through to to put Donald Trump away. Whatever the hell he's trying to do, I don't know. But it was great to see Jim Jordan, my friend Jim Jordan, and the folks in the house there go after Alvin Bragg. Now, Alan Dershowitz was on this station a couple of days ago with Captain Matides. And he was asked, you know, can Jim Jordan do this? And Alan Dershowitz seemed to think he was not 100% positive, but he seemed to think they could do this. Bragg is suing Jim Jordan. Jordan says, I don't care what coming after you. What are your thoughts and, and the legal issues uh, between right, so, Bragg and Jordan? So there, there's two legal issues here. One is, can Jordan hold these hearings in New York? And can he investigate whatever he wants? And that's an easy answer. The answer is yes, he can hold uh, a hearing of the House Judiciary Committee, wherever he wants. So I got to tell you, at the outset, like you, I'm a fan of Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is an opponent of the Patriot Act. I'm an opponent of the Patriot Act. Jim Jordan is an opponent of the FBI warrantless spying. I'm an opponent of that. Jim Jones. Uh, Jim Jordan is in a God of mercy. I mean, Jim Jones. <laughs> yeah. Jim Jordan. Is in a... <laughs> you talk about two completely different guys. <laughs> correct, correct. Jim Jordan is in a position to stop all of that stuff when it expires and needs to be uh, uh, reenacted. And I think he's going to do the right thing. The Congress can investigate anything it wants. The courts are clear on that. However, and this is where I'm a little closer to my friend Professor Dershowitz, the Congress cannot interfere in a state prosecution. The, the, the courts are very clear on that, and the Congress itself has written statutes that prohibit it and prohibit federal courts from interfering with state prosecutions. 
So I think Alvin Bragg's application to quash, as in squash, the subpoena that Jim Jordan sent to Alvin Bragg's former assistant, I think that motion is going to be granted. Once the trial of Trump is over, or however it ends, and and I wish it weren't happening, I'm in the same camp as you on this, Um, once it's over, they can investigate anything they want, but they can't interfere with a criminal uh, prosecution. Nobody can interfere with a criminal prosecution without committing a crime themselves. If they could, they would do it all the time, and they would do it based on politics, not based on justice. So yesterday, our mutual friend uh, Donald Trump came out and sued Michael Cohen, I guess a half a million. It doesn't matter. It could be a half a billion. The money didn't matter. It was basically Donald Trump saying, you're not going to come after me and lie about me without me coming after you. But as far as I know, because I spoke to Takapina yesterday, he's on his way to London. Funny, London comes up again today. He was there last night. His first grandchild may be born tomorrow, which happens to be Joe Takapina's birthday, which is a very, very big deal. Um, But I think that this case is not due back in court until, like, December. So Trump has time to sue Michael Cohen. Takapina and the guys and the lady, Susan, have a chance to look over the evidence. They have a chance to uh, file all these dismissal uh, motions of dismissal, this and that. Is that right now? Is this this thing not uh, hop up again until later this fall? Well, Joe uh, and his team right now are preparing probably eight or nine motions. Half of them are intended to uh, extract data, information, documents uh, from the government. In most states and in the federal system, the government hands you everything it has. It, it virtually gives you its file. In New York, you've got to pull teeth. That's not Alvin Bragg's fault. That's been the law in New York uh, for 120 years. So half those motions are intended to get information out of Bragg. And the more information they get, the more applications they're going to make. So that's a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The other motions that Joe's people are working on are motions to dismiss. The theory of these cases is you want to force the judge to make as many decisions as you can. You want to bury the judge with motions. Give him 30, 40, 50 decisions to Why? Because the more decisions he makes, the greater chances are he'll make a mistake. And when he makes a mistake, there's your appealable uh, issue. So that's what Joe's doing now. Those motions are due in April. Excuse me, in August. The government's responses are due in December. Got it. In in September. In December, we have the oral argument. Trump must be there. It'll be another big circus show like we had uh, two weeks ago. And the judge will rule from the bench. I want to ask you about a guest that was on right before me last night on Jesse Waters. You know, usually I'm in the green room like you've been a million times, Judge, and I'm talking to the next guest or I'm talking to the makeup girl or I'm having coffee. I don't really pay attention, but this guy's name is Mike McCormick, and he was a former Obama and Biden stenographer. So he basically followed these two guys around everywhere, and whatever they said, he wrote it down, every briefing, even private conversations. And he's on with Waters last night before me, and he says, let me tell you something. I got the date, April 18th. April 18th, Joe Biden was aware that Hunter Biden was, A, on the board of Burisma, B, getting paid. So all these stories that Hunter told Amy Robach, my dad knows nothing, that Biden told everybody, my dad knows nothing. For as good as Tony Bobolinsky was with Tucker Carlson, this second whistleblower, this guy Mike McCormick last night, Judge, was even more believable. He says, if the FBI returns my call, which they haven't done, 
They haven't done. I have enough evidence to not just impeach Joe Biden, but put him in prison. What do you think about that? I wish the FBI would return the call. Well, why don't they? Why don't they? He's not going to lie to the FBI. He could be put in prison for that himself. Why don't they return the call? Because this is not the FBI that you and I knew as kids or, or even existed prior to the present era. This is a political FBI. It was a political FBI. Even when Donald Trump was president of the United States, he was their target. It's now a political FBI. They've gone from being um, a sword against Trump to being a shield for Joe Biden. They are a bunch of political liberals who have politicized the FBI, uh, and their goal is the vindication of their politics. Their goal is not justice. Now, I realize I'm speaking in generalities. There are great FBI agents. You know that. You and I have worked with great FBI agents. I would put my my uh, property, my health, my life in their hands. I got to tell but, you, John, John oh, Katsimatidis, right-hand man right here at Red Apple Media, the vice president, George He's a guy that spent 26 years between the DEA and the FBI. He is as good as a soul as there is of a law-abiding, terrific guy. He's more he of what the FBI is. But the guys at the top, they are rotten like bad apples. The guy you're talking about is a great human being. I know him, and I would put my life in his hands. But the culture of the FBI from the Jim Comey era up to the present is forget about the Constitution, forget about the laws, just get the job done. They don't care about their oath to uphold the Constitution. They just pursue whatever they uh, whatever they want to pursue because they know none of them are going to be punished. That culture, <clears throat> whatever corners you can, don't worry about it. We'll back you up. That culture is destroying federal law enforcement. This is why people like Trump say, half seriously, half in jest, defund the FBI. So ask me this. Um, Sid, where is the FBI authorized in the Constitution? It's an easy answer. Nowhere. Right. Nowhere. Right. The framers did not want a federal police department. They wanted laws enforced by the states. Some states would enforce the laws more rigorously, some less rigorously. But there's no authorization for this federal uh, police department. It should be pared back substantially. Or it should be filled with people like guys that work with you and, and the cat man. It would be very difficult to find, <laughs> That's right. to find no. enough people like that. No, I know. We've run out of time here because you're so great. But I do want to compel people to read the judge's latest column. He writes great pieces. I know you heard from John Kirby just a couple of days ago. Once again, leaks coming from the Pentagon. It is unbelievable. And Kirby, by the way, is worried about journalists here in the United States, not about the Russians or the Chinese or, or North Koreans who are being provided all this information. Shows you how priorities are screwed up there, too. But at any rate, another amazing conversation, Judge. I love you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Sid. Love you, too. See you next week. I uh, can't wait. Judge Napolitano every Thursday. That's a heck of a two hours right there, folks. Frank Morano, we went live to London, spoke to uh, London, I should say. Spoke to Nigel Farage and Judge Napolitano right there only halfway through. Folks, got a lot more great stuff coming your way. Gnomes, Nuggets, the rating segment of the week, the great Bill O'Reilly, my main man, my best buddy live in studio, Bo Deedle, and Melissa DeRosa. Talk to her about, oh, I don't know, maybe bail reform. All that and more. Second half of New York's favorite talk show. That's me, Sid Rosenberg, right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Sid Rosenberg's a radio host and author of Citizens United. Let's start with a charging station that doesn't work. What the hell happened there? I'm friends with the mayor. I'm a Republican Trump supporter. He's a Democrat, right? We've had dinner together, lunches together, and I kind of like him. But the truth is, whether you're talking about these charging stations or migrant centers in Brooklyn or a host of other issues, stuff just doesn't seem to work. This is a Biden thing, right? Because Biden doesn't want to talk about gas prices and oil prices or, of course, Keystone pipelines or drilling. He wants to get to the day where these cars become really important. Eric Adams couldn't care less about an electric car. He has no idea how to even work those. He's following suit with the rest of the Democrats. So what about these robot dogs? You have to realize that for two robots, of course, about $750,000. Now, to train, vet, and graduate a New York police officer, of course, $100,000. That means seven or eight human beings that could be cops are off the street for robots who, by the way, only go three miles per hour. And you ready for this? Have to be operated by a human being. The truth is, here in New York, between the crime, between the taxes, the dirt, the filth, the lousy education, Mayor Adams has a lot of work to do. Fix our city because one-third of New Yorkers are leaving as we speak because of the real problems in this city. I left. Include Robocops. Sid, I left already. I'm in Jersey now. You're in Jersey. I left. You went to our worst place. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sid. <laughs> That was a good time last night. I love Jesse. He does a really good show. Talk of the uh, the best talent at Fox News and Tucker Carlson. Judge Janine Pirro, I love her. She's great. Brian Kilmeade and Jesse, too. 7 o'clock weeknights. Jesse Waters primetime. But that was my debut on the show last night. Even he was surprised. He's like, wait, this is your first time? I go, yeah, F-Face. You canceled me twice during my book tour. But uh, it was worth the wait. It was a great time last night. And, and there I was. Center stage, millions of viewers talking about Mayor Eric Adams. I did preface the conversation with the mayor's a friend of mine, and he is. I like him a lot. But my job is to come on here and be honest. And the truth is, is that while Adams' heart's in the right place, and he does care about this city, and he is a better mayor than Bill de Blasio, the truth is he needs to be significantly better than Bill de Blasio, and running around with electric cars and all this technology nonsense and robocops while the city continues, continues to fall apart. There's no excuse for that. 
I'm sick of talking about London the last couple of days, but I'm just trying to give you guys a perspective. There are other major cities around the world, big cities like New York that are gorgeous. This is crap what goes on here. So I was critical of the mayor last night, which made a lot of people uh, very happy. I will tell you, in fact, that I got a text from Curtis Sliwa, who loves that stuff. That's porn for Curtis. That's porn. And uh, were the uh, two texts that uh, Curtis sent me last night? He goes, Sid, it was great. It was spontaneous, funny, but entertaining. You made your points and had the audience smiling. They do the Hollywood scrams routine with multiple guests, and it's predictable and boring. Here you and Jesse were into it and laughing your asses off, but you were giving out a lot of good analytical information about both programs. It left the viewer wanting more. Nobody was going to hit the channel changer during your segment. That was Curtis. And then WFAN legend, who joins me occasionally here, my former midday partner, the great, and I mean the great Joe Beningo, he texted me early this morning, and he went on to say, nice work with Jesse last night, very disappointed in your buddy Adams. I guess you're one of the very few crackers he actually likes. So, you know, they know that I'm friends with the mayor. I root for the mayor. And I'm going to call the mayor today. But I'm here to tell you, that I expected more at this point. I did. And he's going to tell me, yeah, but Sid, I've done this, I've done that. Oh, please. Please. So I thought it was respectful in my criticisms, but I have to be honest. And the city ain't there yet. It ain't even close. Ain't even close. So that was Jesse last night. A busy day yesterday. As I told you back in the 6 o'clock hour, I had about uh, 90 minutes. I did two different TV spots yesterday. I did Fox News last night with millions of viewers and Jesse Waters. And I was on late in the show, which is great because Tucker Carlson came on about 10 minutes after I was off. Kat Timpf, I like her. She's got a new book out. She's going to join me next Thursday. She was the last guest. But earlier in the afternoon, I made my way across the street and was on American Agenda with my friend Laura Curran. She's great. Does a show here. What is Laura on Sundays, right? She's, uh, she's very talented. And she is that common-sense Democrat that John Katsimatidis is always talking about. She's the only one, but she exists, and she was on the panel with me with Bob Sellers and Katrina yesterday. She's on Fox News right now. She's on Fox and Friends as we speak, yes. Mm-hmm. She's going to join us tomorrow to talk about this Kathy, uh, Kathy Hochul housing situation on Long Island that has a lot of people really pissed off, including Joe Cairo, Pete King, Anthony D'Esposito, my friend Michelle Capitola, Michelle Johnson, so she'll, um, she'll join us tomorrow. But I had 90 minutes between the end of yesterday's show and my appearance across the street. So I decided I was going to sit outside by my apartment in Battery Park. Sunny, beautiful day. Volleyball court, water, nice breeze. It was perfect. So I'm going to share a story with you again that I shared two hours ago. So I'm sitting out there. I'm shirtless, getting some sun. And a guy starts to make his way towards me who's overdressed. When I say overdressed, I don't mean a suit. I mean he was wearing like a jacket and a scarf. It was like 70-something degrees. Not as hot as today. Today is really hot. Makes his way towards me, stops about three feet in front of me, and does that Lou Ferrigno muscle stance. You know what I'm saying, Lou and and, uh, Justin. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah. So he's saying to me, hey, you're in good shape. So I say thank you, but I notice... As I say thank you, that I don't think he hears me. 
And then he starts to move closer, and he points to his ears, which is ironic because I'm deaf this morning, and it turns out he's deaf. So as he's inching closer to me, this is a true story, I swear on my son Gabriel's life, and you guys know how much I love my son. He inches towards me, and he grabs my nipple. <laughs> oh, I swear to God. So I don't know what to say or do. I'm like, what? what is going on here? Then he holds his cell phone up, and he starts typing text messages to himself on the cell phone, and it reads, I'm deaf, are you gay? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You got kids out there playing volleyball, guys and girls running, old people hand in hand taking a nice walk on a beautiful day, and some gay guy grabs my nipple in public right out there and is asking me if I'm gay. Because if I was, I could have taken him right back upstairs to my apartment. Could have been a load up on that afternoon. But you, you missed out. No, I didn't. You got great no. fans. Great fans. <laughs> yeah, those are my fans. Yeah. Grab your nipple. So that's how my day started. Then I did my appearance across the street. Then I came back home, had dinner, and went back to uh, news, uh, Fox News, and did that television show. It was a great day. But uh, throughout the day yesterday, I was getting a lot of very nice messages. Because I learned yesterday that week three of the month of March, which is the last month of the winter book. Again, inside baseball, you guys don't deal with ratings. I do, right? How do you judge a baseball team, a football team, wins and losses? You win a lot, you're great. You don't, you're a loser. And right now, this radio show, it looks a lot like the 1973 Miami Dolphins, who never lost a game. The ratings for week three came back in March at an 8.9, basically a 9. Let me explain to you what that means, folks, for you guys critical of the show. What that means is you can take three, not one, not two, but three of your favorite shows in politics, not sports, in politics, take three of them, any of your three favorite shows, add them together, add them together, they don't get a 9. I get a 9. Those numbers are unheard of. I miss, got about a three most of the time, maybe a three. Those numbers have never been done at this station. Mornings up against 1010 Wins, CBS 880, Boomer and the Fan, NPR, even Light Up. The numbers are, they're outrageous. I mean, Lou, you've been doing this nearly 40 years. Now, we all know that I miss, of course, had great popularity, but that was more about revenue than ratings. He was never a big ratings guy. Howard Stern kicked his ass in ratings. And I got to tell you, Stern got 11s and 12s in his career, but even he didn't get 8s and 9s all the time like we do now. So I laugh at the criticisms. You know, you guys are always talking about who's not on the show. Maybe you ought to start to realize who is on the show because we're making history. And so congratulations uh, to Lou and Justin and Noam. But you, you never heard these numbers before, have you? Ever? No, they're, it's astronomical. It's pretty crazy. Crazy. But the great thing is, as soon as you get good news, you get good news, you go right onto the offensive. Oh, yeah. You, go at the, you yeah. attack everybody. Of course I do. Of course I do. Attacks. Right. That's the, the show's not the same. Not without this guy, that guy. Listen, dickface. <laughs> Triple the ratings. Triple. The show's never been more popular. This show is a monster. It's a monster. 
I can't walk down the street anymore without being stopped by people every day on every block. Grabbing your nipples. That's right. Well, that was a, an added uh, bonus. <laughs> That's when you really make it big. That's right. You know yeah. it. When people are coming up just grabbing <laughs> I mean, your nipples. Come on. Well, so that's why you grabbed mine this morning. Yeah. I did grab your buttocks. Yeah. It looks hard today. Like, Have you been doing uh, uh, butt workouts at the gym? or? Uh, No, but I did see this girl at the gym yesterday doing a few butt workouts, so I just decided to do the same workouts right next to her. It was just one day? Yeah. Because you look like you're starting to develop a nice little buttocks, uh, Justin. Oh. Because for a guy that's a former uh, really good athlete, mind you, high school, college, baseball, hockey, you're kind of flabby. You're not in very good shape these days. Uh, well, actually, yesterday I dipped underneath 190 pounds for the first time in five years. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, good. I'm happy for you. Thanks. Are you getting back into it, like, in a big way? or I go to the gym two or three times a week, yeah. That's not enough. Two well, or three times a week. Fine, First of all, if any person that says two or three times a week, the truth is it's once or twice a week. <laughs> no. And then you drink all that and no. you party a lot. It's honestly just a matter of if I go on Monday or not. But I oh, go on right. Wednesday and Friday. Sure. Yeah. Well, how did you have time yesterday with all this stuff going on to watch Joe Biden in uh, Ireland? Well, it's funny because I didn't. No. Mm. Well, he was in Northern Ireland, you know, two days ago. He got to Ireland yesterday, 25 years of the Good Friday Agreement. In the meantime, uh, it's not so great in Ireland these days, despite the great work by Pete King, Bill Clinton, and the rest of those guys. But uh, every day that Joe Biden speaks, we get another gaffe. Such a good word. Another gaffe. So uh, I guess in this one, <laughs> this guy's really a mess. He actually said the Oval Office is in the Capitol building? Yeah, and then he didn't, like, even, like, correct himself. He just kept going. Play this. My God, help us. Joe Biden, cut number one. As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the the Oval Office in the United States Capitol, guess what? You know who founded and designed and built the White House? An Irishman. (laughs) An Irish. No, not, not a joke. No, Not on. a joke. No, no, of course. All right. An Irishman. An Irishman. Did you think he was kidding? An Irishman. Did you think he was kidding? He goes on to talk about January 6th. Hopefully I mean, he found the right building. An yeah. Irishman. Joe Biden, cut number two. Get play it. All the immense progress we see around us was built through. Don't even play this one. Go to number three. This is the number four. So he's got his sister there, Biden, Aunt Valerie, who, like, never talks, never says a word. She walks around. And he's got his kid, Hunter. And let me make this very, very clear. I'm a recovering addict. I never pick on Hunter for smoke and crack, all that stuff that he does. That's not why Hunter Biden is a scumbag. That's not why. Because he is a scumbag. Now, listen, I love a father's love. But I got to tell you, I'll be honest with you. Me and my dad were very close. I still cry over my father to this day. This day, Harvey. There was not one day... In my father's life, where he didn't love me. Not a day. But I can promise you this, folks. When I went to rehab twice, where I wasn't doing the right thing at work, where I wasn't giving Danielle and all my kids all I needed, my father never went out of his way to tell me he was proud of me. In fact, he would say, what the F are you doing? You're wasting your life. Love me, love me every step of the way, but wouldn't go out of his way when I was screwing up to tell me he was proud of me. This guy, this guy Joe Biden, is such a liar and a corrupt thief, and he goes out of his way in Ireland to say this about Hunter when he knows full well 
that Hunter embarrasses that family every day. I get it. You love him. But you go out of your way to say you're proud of him? Cut number four. The fact that I'm here with my younger son, Hunter Biden, stand up. I'm proud of you. Oh, uh, stop right there. Stand up. I'm proud of you. Really? Just say I love you. What are you proud of? Taking money from other countries, some of which are our biggest enemies, banging prostitutes, smoking crack cocaine, having a baby with your dead son's wife? Yeah, I guess he's right. That's an awful lot to be proud of. In the morning, 77 WABC. for you back on the chain gang before I get to know him quickly and then a nice little run here with Phil O'Reilly, Bo Deedle, and Melissa DeRosa first time since 1994 uh, first time in 29 years that all five local winter sports teams are in the playoffs and we're going to cover a lot of that here because part of the reason why we're doing so well is I steal listeners from Boomer Esiason and Geo on the fan every day because they don't want to hear about one at bat during a Metro Yankee game. They'd like to hear about Trump and Adams and the city, but they get all the sports here, too. Don't forget, we had Mike Breen on Tuesday, the voice of the Knicks. We've got Ian Eagle, the voice of the Nets, on tomorrow. So for the first time in 29 years, all five winter teams make the postseason. Now, it looks like the Rangers and Devils will play in round one. That'll be an unbelievable series. And the Islanders, with Laura Kern in attendance, they got in last night. Is that right, Lewis? Yes, they're in. Right now, they're first wild card. So they'd have, uh, right now, their first wild card. Yeah. So what is, does that, you know who they play? Or? Because they would play Carolina. Carolina. Okay. First. All right. Uh, but it depends on if, uh, the I Devils. think, Carolina, the Carolina and the Devils are playing in Florida is playing 
Oh, my uh, God. Uh, I forget who This is playing. like John Candy and Tripes. If you were in Germany, you'd make my bed, bud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Florida's playing. Uh, Florida and Carolina are playing in Florida today. Gotcha. So it's a big game. Yeah, it's big. Right. So if they win, if Florida wins, no. they become the one wild gotcha. card. Yeah. And then yeah. the Islanders would have to play Boston. Sure. That's not going to be fun. You don't want that. No. No, right. I usually I don't care who you play. No, you want Boston. I, I do not want to play no. that team. They first. are so far away the best team in the league. It's scary. Yeah. So you got that and then of course the Knickerbockers start their series in Cleveland against the Cavaliers on Saturday and the Nets again with Ian Eagle set to join us tomorrow. We'll take on the 76ers. Now in baseball, one quick story before I get to Norm, who's got to be quick as our body's coming on. You know the Rays won again last night. They're 12-0. and 0. The Tampa Bay Rays. The Yankees are playing well. They're 8-4, but they're still four back. The Rays are 12-0. and 0. They have an opportunity with a win tonight to tie the Milwaukee, Bra- uh, Milwaukee Brewers and Atlanta Braves for the best start in the history of baseball starting a season 13-0. and 0. The Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, the Mets got a win and Alonzo Homewood again. Joan Dolan, if the Devils win... And Carolina loses tonight. The Devils win the division. No, no, Joel. Now this he just texted. Oh, all right. Okay, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're here t- comes the music. I thought you were talking to him. No, he's texting me. So, oh. <laughs> uh, what you were talking about again? If the Devils win and Carolina loses, the Devils win it. Lisa Orban, my dad saw you last night on Waters World. He's now a huge fan. He's ninety. Can't wait for you to meet him. Norm, let's do this quick before Raleigh comes on. Yeah, sure. So yesterday, Florida executed a man known as the Ninja Killer, and you won't be upset. Oh, he got, that... oh, he got killed. I know who this guy is. He got killed yesterday? Yeah, they put him to death. They put gave him lethal injection. He's the guy who was convicted of killing this, this, this snowbird couple from New Jersey who went down to their house. It's so bad. Such a bad story. It is no. a terrible story. It goes, and the fact is he was on death row from all the way from 1989, right, till now, which is sort of crazy. But anyway, uh, nobody's going to be unhappy that he's not alive anymore. But this, So I, I got this mailing from the prison, and then I hit back, and I said, you know, normally they tell me what the last meal is for somebody like this, right? Because right. people want to know. What so would they, your last meal be? Well, I don't know. I don't know that I'd be hungry if I was about to be put to yeah, death. That's a good point. But let's just play the so, game. You know, <laughs> just, just get something. I'd have to come up with something. But his meal included a barbecued pork ribs, pork turkey neck, buffalo wings, shrimp fried rice, French fries, and a bottle of water. Yeah, he wasn't worried about calories at that point. No. And he certainly wasn't Jewish. He definitely wasn't Jewish. So I wrote back to him. I said, you know, what's the budget on this thing? So they say if it, if the food request is something that can be made in the prison, then they can really choose whatever they want. So if it's like a cheeseburger, pizza, something like that, then they'll make it. But um, if it's something they want outside the prison, then their threshold for most of these places is 40 bucks. Really? They actually yeah. go outside the prison yes. and spend $40? Yes, so I'll give you On some... a guy you're about to kill? Yeah. So... Uh, I, you know, did one of my deep dives, and I started looking at some of the last meals of some of the most famous murderers of all time. Oh, this is going to be awesome. So John Wayne Gacy, remember him? He killed all the kids in Chicago. Oh, yeah. He dressed as a clown. Yeah. Yeah, he was a clown. Awful human being. So he once... By the way, he buried all the bodies in his basement, and they still sold that house. Yeah. I swear to God. Yeah. Yeah, there's always someone who will buy it. So 
he managed three KFC restaurants before uh, this all happened. So you might guess what his final meal was. He requested a a 12 fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe KFC, French fries, a pound of strawberries. Uh, Timothy McVeigh. He blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City. By the way, how about this? On my birthday, Wednesday next week, April 19th. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The day before I know, uh, who knows Hitler's more birthday. Stuff. Right. Who knows more stuff than yeah. nobody. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Finger licking good. His, his final meal was uh, two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? He killed a lot of little kids that day in daycare in that building, and they love ice cream, so yeah, it's son then, of a... Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. Who's and the then, third one? And then you just have just weird ones, right? So one guy, I'll just go them through them quickly. One guy wanted a pint of cottage cheese as his final last meal. Yeah. Another one asked for a home-cooked meal from his mother. The uh, prison denied that. They said it can't happen. Right. Uh, let's see. Um, another one, a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Nice. Uh, six ounces of fried clams. They gave him that. A half a loaf of garlic bread and 32 ounces of A&W root beer is his final <laughs> meal. Well, there you have it, folks. I, I, I'd like to know what uh, Ted Bundy had. And, of course, maybe the most, we had the BT, uh, the BTK killer. That was a, a really sick guy in uh, Kansas. But uh, maybe oh, the most famous of all was uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. All he had to do was check his own refrigerator. He had plenty of food in there. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> uh, I, one guy here, I'm just looking really quickly. His last request was a package of Hubba Bubba bubble gum, no. which they gave him. Very nice. Yeah. I think I asked Deirdre for a cigarette before uh, he died. <laughs> Didn't put him to death, but he died. Yeah, well, uh, and, and oxygen, I think. Take up the tank so we can... Uh, <laughs> Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. mother was all upset last night. She's down in uh, Aventura. You guys know this, but they had torrential, severe storms in Fort Lauderdale last night. And she lost all of her power about the same time I was going on Jesse Waters' show, because my mother is a habitual Fox News watcher. So all she does is watch Fox News all day. She's a psycho. She used to love O'Reilly. That was her favorite. But now she watches Jesse and uh, Tucker and Sean. And here I am on Waters last night, primetime. And my mom didn't see it, so Naomi's all upset today. Said, Mom, I'll email it here. She said, you what? You know what that meant. Anyway, my next guest, <laughs> I just talked about him, Bill O'Reilly. He was the best. He still is the best. He'll always be the best, whether it's 9 p.m. weeknights here on WABC or his own amazing website, BillOReilly.com. Nobody does a better interview, a better TV show. He writes the best columns. Uh, I'll say this to my last day on the air. He is the best cable news guy in the history of the business. He's a tremendous radio guy, and the great ratings that I get coming off a of nine, week three in March, the highest-rated segment every week is Bill. So here he is, my dear friend, the great Bill O'Reilly. Good morning, Bill. Did you just call your mother a psycho? A psycho. I mean, just completely <laughs> insane. My father died years ago. Now I know why. <laughs> All right, well... I don't know if your mother gets WABC because you can get WABC.com everywhere live, but I'm on your side. Is it Naomi? What, Naomi, yes. No, she's, she's I'm actually. I'm on your side, Naomi. No, she if I had loves a son you. like Sid, I'd be psycho too. 
<laughs> you want to hear a funny story about that? About a son like that? I love my mother. I'm only kidding. She's great. But Wednesday, Bill, is my 56th birthday. Guess who I share my birthday with on Wednesday? Her. My mom, Naomi. Wow. Yeah. Very good. So a big celebration next Wednesday. I, I heard Sliwa is going to pop out of a cake. <laughs> That's true. It is true. Just uh, just wearing his red beret, nothing else. All right. Well, then I can't go. But anyway, and please hold it down in the uh, West Village. That's yeah. right? the perfect place for that. Yes, I agree. So uh, I watched you on Waters, but I didn't watch you live time because I was on with Chris Cuomo on News Nation at eight o'clock. And that, that's up. a week. That's a weekly thing for you, right? Yeah, Every- I do him Wednesday yeah. uh, at eight o'clock, and it's very. I think people would find it uh, entertaining. Nothing like it on cable. Uh, listen, I, I'm going to say, I'll be honest with you. I don't like Chris Cuomo, not even a little. I don't like his brother. I like his brother even less, Andrew. But I have watched you with Chris. It's about the only time I can watch Chris, and it's a great segment. Great. Yeah, it's totally different. But, you know, I don't give any quarter. So I'm not there. I'm, I'm there trying to explain to an audience that might not hear or see me. Um, what my point of view is. That's why I do News Nation. And that's a growing situation over there, unlike all the others that are receding. But anyway, I did watch you in the morning, this morning, uh, with Waters. And and the electric car fiasco Mm. is symptomatic of what we have in New York City. But it is not the headline. The headline and why Adams is caught, and I don't think he's going to be able to get out of this. Why Adams is caught is because he's beholden to his base. Correct. That is a far left base. And, and, you, and you, know, you watched it, and that's exactly what I said. That's a Biden deal. Don't have to worry about oil prices, uh, gas prices, Keystone pipelines, drilling, electric cars, gets him off the hook for all of that. And that's all Adams cares about is being nice to his base, specifically Joe Biden. Well, he's trying to walk this tightrope and, and get some problem solved, which is what appeals to you, I believe. Sure. But... He can't solve them because he panders to the far left, which control the city council, which control the donations into his um, operation, if he wants to run again, all of that. So we in New York pay the highest taxes in the country for two reasons only. All right. Number one is protection. That's the government, both federal and state and local's highest obligation, to protect the citizenry. That is why we have the Second Amendment, all right? So protection is number one. That has broken down. Number two is quality of life, where you went to London. There's a discipline that's still in place in London. The same discipline is in place in Tokyo, which are larger cities than New York. The discipline in Mexico City has broken down. You don't have it there. There is no discipline in the city of New York. So there's no quality of life. So you walk down the street with your 10-year-old and you're smelling pot every second. That's right. You're watching drug addicts inject themselves with narcotics. You're on the subway, and you're seeing the most depraved conduct you can imagine, and nothing is being done about nope. it. Why? Because the far left doesn't want anything done about it. 
they believe the imposition of order is racist because most of the miscreants in New York City are people of color. So they've thrown the whole system of self-protection out. And that's why we have the anarchy we have. And that's why 40% in the latest survey of New Yorkers say they'd like to live somewhere else. Now, people can't move. They have jobs. They have families. They have obligations. Well, when you get to that high number, when 40% of your population says, I want to get out of here, you're in San Francisco territory, you're into this, and, the, and it's a very simple equation. The base, Adams's base, doesn't want, okay, the government to impose order. Whereas Giuliani and Bloomberg's base did. Yep, yep. Uh, you just nailed it. I mean, you just nailed it. And let me give you the ultimate kick in the ass for Adams, too. So he does all this stuff, right, Bill? Because, well, let's be honest, he's got his eyes on one thing, okay? He hasn't told me this in all fairness and all the times we've been together. He wants to be president and give him a mayor of New York City. And, and by the way, if he cleans up New York City, that's not outrageous. But he's got a lot of work to do here first. He wants to be president. So he's out there a couple of weeks ago. He's Biden's great. I'm the Biden of Brooklyn because he wanted the DNC here. Why? Millions and millions of dollars, if not billions. He gets closer to his Democratic leadership. Not only did they not choose New York, they choose Chicago. What a kick in Mayor Adams' ass. No? Well, uh, the entire country. That's an insane thing in Chicago, and I did that on the No Spin News last night. Anybody can access that on BillOReilly.com or our other just, you know, we distribute all over. And WABC carries the No Spin News on under the banner of Common Sense at 9 o'clock at night. So I did that story, and I said what this is is a Democratic Party spitting in the eyes of all of its adherents. Because Chicago is a disaster, and they're going there to celebrate the disaster. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Now, there's one other thing with Adams that everybody on WABC, everybody listening to us now, should understand. Not only is he held captive by the far-left city council and his donors, but he's also held captive by the unions, because the unions are allied with the far-left. Now we are up to $37,000 per pupil in New York City public schools. That is how much tax money is paid, $37,000 for one school term, okay? Catholic schools are 50 to 60% less than that to go to a Catholic school. You can go in the Bronx, to Archbishop Hayes, to Cardinal Hayes, I should say, Cardinal Spellman, Mount St. Michael, all throughout Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and the Bronx are Catholic high schools that you can go to for between ten and 14000 And if you're poor, they'll give you scholarships. The test scores in those schools are way higher than the New York City public school system. Of course. Because the unions... It's the same thing, will not impose discipline on the students in the public schools. Therefore, the good kids and the kids who want to learn can't because they're distracted by the bad kids. 
on fire, Bill O'Reilly, this morning. This is why this segment, and he does so well, a great job. I want to get to another story here. If you watched all of Jesse last night, the guest before me was a guy named Mike McCormick. And for folks that don't know who he is, he was both Obama and Biden's stenographer. So anytime there was a briefing bill, anytime those guys spoke, even private conversations, this guy wrote down everything, okay? So this guy's on Waters last night. He goes, let me tell you something. April 18th, April 18th, Joe Biden, going back years ago, knew already that Hunter was on the board of Burisma. Let me tell you something else, because he knew about China, too, because he left him a voicemail that said, hey, son, I saw the New York Times article. It seems like you're in the clear. He said, I have the information. I've got it. Documentation that Joe Biden knew Hunter was getting paid, that he was getting paid. I have called the FBI. I would not call the FBI and lie because that is a criminal offense. I'm telling the truth. I have enough information, more than Tony Bobulinski, more than Miranda Devine, more than Tucker Carlson, to not just impeach Joe Biden, but put him in prison. Why would this guy lie? And if he's not lying, Bill O'Reilly, what is the FBI doing? Well, number one, he may be exaggerating. If you are a uh, disciplined journalist, as I am, I listen with interest to what he's saying, but I certainly got to check it out. I got to see the stenography that he took and the context of what was said. Well, let's take be... him at his word. Let's take him at his word because he's got it. You know, he says he's a okay. yeah. well, t- But the, the salient question is, he says he called the FBI. I hope he recorded the call, number one. And number two, what's the response from the FBI? They're never going to tell you. They're going to say, oh, well, it's under investigation or, you know, we have this or that, and we're not going to tell you. But the Justice Department, remember, the FBI takes its orders from Merrick Garland, the attorney general. They have no interest in this story. None. Zero. Okay? So they're not going to investigate Hunter Biden vis-a-vis Joe Biden. They're not. So the only vehicle... Available is Congress. Well, when you Congress say that, doesn't when, have but, but, the power you, of arrest. But when you say they're not going to investigate him, that's because Joe Biden doesn't want them to. That's right. It's a politicized Justice Department. Garland's there because of Biden. Biden can fire Garland tomorrow. Okay. So, and the same thing with Ray and the head of the FBI. Ray can get fired by Biden tomorrow. They're federal agencies that operate under the executive branch. Okay, so they're not going to look into this. But even worse, who shows up in Ireland on Air Force One? Hunter. Hunter. And Aunt Val. And by the way, Joe Biden, this is now look. my father. I mentioned this a little while ago. My father loved me like any father would love a son. But when I was going to rehab, which I did twice, he wasn't standing up and calling my aunts and uncles and going, I'm so proud of Sydney. So not only did Hunter Biden go to Ireland with Joe and Aunt Val, but there, Hunter was, excuse me, Joe Biden was yesterday telling Hunter to stand up so we can tell the audience how proud he was of his son, who was clearly a mess. What a joke. Well, well this is an in-your-face to the American people. That's what this is. It's like, blank you people. I'm standing by my son, Hunter, and I, we didn't do anything wrong, and I don't <laughs> care what anybody else says, and you just paid for Hunter's trip to Ireland. <laughs> So blank you. No, you're right. right. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Because anybody else would have low-keyed that. 
and maybe send Hunter to Bon Air or something where nobody even knows. Yeah, take a, take a month down there, okay? So what we have here is you – and I'm, I'll go back to New York City to tie it up in a nice bow for you, Said I know you like that. There is no compulsion to impose justice or order in this country when Democrats are running the show, and that is the truth. You just nailed it again and wrapped it in a beautiful little bow. And are we going to change that? I mean, Donald Trump is out there getting these huge numbers. He's back in New York City today talking to Letitia James. He'll be back again in a couple of weeks with my buddy Joe Tacopina with this ridiculous rape allegation, Bergdorf Goodman. He's got 19 different court cases and things going on between now and December. Is Donald Trump going to change that? Well, it's working for him now as he separated himself from DeSantis and the polling, and, and many Americans are saying, look, this is an in-your-face, too, so we're going to go, and, and we may not like Trump, but it's so bad that we're going to support him because you're doing this. Those are unintended consequences. But I don't know. In the next year, Biden is going to go downhill. One of the themes of my reporting this week is that people don't understand, Americans don't understand, how mentally deficient he is and it's getting worse yeah no it is it's getting not going to get any better yeah. yesterday he confused all blacks which are the new zealand football team the rugby <laughs> team with the black and tans oh my god which are the catholic cops that went over to work for the protestants yes he confused the two of them in a speech i mean well, he, I got one for you. He, 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 also, he also said yesterday that the oval office is in the capitol building <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're looking at the guy, and I, I don't hate Joe Biden. I don't I want do. ill. I hate him. Okay. I don't want him I to don't. die. I don't want him to die, I don't, but I hate him because. I, I don't I, hate him. I, well, I do, but, but I'll tell you I what, because, because, I, because I know, but I believe there are some cognitive issues. And if that was the only reason why, not only would I not hate him, but I would sympathize with him. But for me, from my silly opinion, he's equally as evil as he is cognitively declining, and I hate him. I can't make that judgment. I can say that the man uh, is hurting every single American, and those of you who will vote for him over Trump or anybody else are basically voting against your own self-interest. Every enemy we have in the world is going to test us in the next year. Because of Joe Biden's yep. weakness. Yep. They're going to test us. And when you talk in China, this becomes a crucial issue that the president of the United States is incapable of confronting. As much as I hate Joe Biden, that is how much I love you. So thank you. This was another great appearance. I, I look forward to it every week. You never disappoint. 9 p.m. every weeknight, the best in the business. Another great one, Bill O'Reilly. Thank you so much. All right. So go Islanders. And next week we'll talk about the Mets in the bottom third of their order. Something's got to happen there. Well, hold Let's on. Go. Now that you mentioned the Islanders, were you in attendance last night? No, I was not. But spiritually, <laughs> I was. Okay, great. Okay? All right. All They're right. my guys. And uh, if they have to play the Bruins, RIP. But they could beat Carolina. Not there you have it, Bill O'Reilly. I think he's right. They could beat Carolina. But Boston, I'm not sure anybody can beat Boston. Bill O'Reilly, just uh, an amazing appearance. 
appearance again. I love you, Bill. We'll uh, take a short break. Three great hours. What a terrific fourth hour to come. My main man, Bo Deedle, coming up live in studio as he is 9.05 every Thursday morning. And a serious conversation with Melissa DeRosa. That's coming up as well. Hour number four with your favorite talk show in the morning, me, Sid Rosenberg, right here. Coming right back. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. I've got the world on a string. Sitting on a rainbow, got the string around my finger. What a world. You know, Thursdays have become my, uh, it's always my favorite day of the week because I, I love Bill O'Reilly, I just do. But uh, my next guy, this is really my guy. Like, he's my guy, my Uncle Bo. Bo Deedle, who's great on the phone, 7.40 every Tuesday morning, but then graces us, looking beautiful as always, 9.05 on Thursdays. Bo, you know this guy a little bit who was just singing, right? Um, yeah, I've been known to uh, dine with him and my very, very dear friend, God rest his soul, Louis Dome. Louis Dome. And Louis Dome was one of the greatest guys I have ever met. And all of a sudden, when I was a detective, I would get called to internal affairs. Do you know who you're having drinks with? I said, I really don't know. His name is Louie. Well, he's an organized crime. I said, do me a favor. I don't do organized crime. I got a lot of friends. I got John Gotti. I grew up with Scopo. And I'm proud of my friends. And as long as I don't do anything wrong, kiss my butt. Did you really and say that? Yeah, I'm so for you. Good they had for a you. chair on Popular Street. Used to be downtown Brooklyn, a chair. It was Bo's chair. They used to have me down there every two minutes. Then they go, well, we want you to work organized crime. I says, you know what? Put me in the neighborhoods where the people are being robbed and mugged and right. murdered. I don't want to work Italian organized crime. Stick it. They're and that's right. what I did. Because they don't bother anybody else. I mean, yeah, I, leave, leave, leave my them. friends alone, okay? Right. Leave my friends alone. I mean, it was alone. a little unfortunate to the kid next door to Gotti, actually. All right, let's not even go there. <laughs> All right, so listen to me. Yeah. Friday, tomorrow night, 10 o'clock. Yes. Blue Bloods. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, tomorrow very. night, 10 o'clock, Blue Bloods. And I play the uh, character Carmine, and there's a scene in there where I punch out my... Uh, the father-in-law of my daughter in the during the wedding cakes fly. What do you mean? I thought you, you punch out like ten people. You're, it's an I, amazing scene. No, You're I'm great. talking everybody. It was, I know it was good. It's it was a good. great scene. Well, let's get to the things well, hold at on hand. a second because uh, this is exciting me <laughs> because I saw the scene. So between that scene and Blue Bloods coming up tomorrow night. Yeah. The season where you're playing Tommy Lucchese now on Godfather of Killing Home, it. It's killing it. Killing it. Every everybody starts me and goes. Have you seen your friend Bo? And I won't see you until I get back to Queens next month. Yeah. But I have to tell I mean this sincerely. They talk about it every day on the streets. Yeah. I, I, I was very fortunate to, to be able to. They gave me that part of Tommy Lucchese, and I enjoyed doing it. And that uh, guy, Michael uh, Raymond James, he's the great. The place Columbo yeah. is fabulous and all that. And we, we got to talk about some important issues. You know, Sid, I thank you for having me all the time. But, you know, they're talking, they make. Gobbly goo, gobbly gee. They're bringing the cops up to $55,000. How nice! From forty-something thousand dollars, now you're giving them a raise. Now let's remember, let's dissect what a cop is. A cop is someone who's on the street. A cop is going to put their life in jeopardy for you. 
A cop is out there trying to make an arrest on some little piece of garbage that is committing a robbery. All of a sudden, he's there, and he's trying to arrest him. He tells him, put your hands behind the back. I don't know if anybody ever saw somebody who didn't want to get handcuffed. It ain't pretty. So what happens? Let's lead into this thing. So the cop's trying to grapple with him. Now, you can't put him in a headlock. Please. Now, you can't get on top of him. How the hell do you handcuff him? So now, all of a sudden, some little punk friend of his starts video. Hey, Lou, get your finger on that button so if I curse. Uh, some little piece of garbage, <laughs> yeah. some little garbage can is videotaping. But you know what they do? The guy then spits in the cop's face, smacks him. The video doesn't start there. The video starts at the second act. I know. And that's what they submit online. All the time. And all the cops yes. are No, it gets better. That's the one time I, I disagreed with our, our mutual friend Joe Tacopino, uh, who yeah. I love dearly, who was about to birth his first grandchild. He's in London as we speak. He doesn't like the uh, the headline. Now, let me tell you something. I don't care if you use a bat, nunchucks, a knife, beat the living crap out of these guys. are criminals. I don't care how you get them to the you ground. Know, no, you I don't, don't, don't go because beat. he was Take bat. the word beat out. You use necessary force to, to get them arrested. Beat is not a good word. And that's what, that's what they want you to say. No. But here we go. All of a sudden, you get this guy who has 15 prior arrests for robbery. Yeah. And the next thing that happens is the little whippy DA downtown, all of a sudden, he is. And they bring him in. The defense attorney, the little liberal progressive goes like this. Well, Mr. D.A., I just heard that the Officer O'Hara used the N-word. He called him the N-word. Oh, oh, and also, Officer O'Hara had him in the headlock. Now it reverses. Now the cop is the target. The cop's the target to get fired, lose his pension. And guess what? We have it simmering right now. They want civil penalties to take his damn little house in Levittown that he's been busted in. But for and take that away. Where is the right? Yeah, you just reminded me O.J. Simpson yeah. trial because they had a guy up for a double homicide, a black guy, and instead they were talking about a, about the possibility that Mark Furman was a white racist cop, which is exactly what you're talking about. But forgetting about cops on the street and getting a small yeah. raise, how about one of the stories I did on Jesse Waters last night, where our mutual friend, the mayor Eric Adams, wants to replace yeah. cops. Yeah. With the robots. Yeah, okay. I'm going to tell you something. You see that little space-looking thing? Looks like a space capsule. I will guarantee you, a couple of brothers are going to come on in. I'm calling them brothers, okay? And they're not going to be white supremacists. They're going to pick that thing up. They're going to throw it in front of a friggin' A-train. And they'll be, they'll be off the tracks. And my man inside will be saying, don't take the A-train. There's a capsule in front of it. They'll throw it right there. And you know what the cop's going to do? Oh, hey, God. don't touch that. Hey. Don't touch that. And they're going to go, yeah, right. And they're going to heave it on the atri- on the tracks. And that's going to be the end. What do we need this to put? I, I texted our mayor. I texted our mayor. He did answer my text. We're going back. I said, Mr. Mayor, what happened to what I spoke about? The southern and eastern uh, USA's to f- prosecute. Federal, federal prosecution. Federal yes. prosecution. On the federal. Everyone loves it. Everybody. The mayor says, it. Bo, it's a great idea, but they don't want to do it. Now, here's what I'm calling. That's racist. Because the majority of people in my city and across this country are young blacks being killed. I want to meet with Al Sharpton and all these community leaders. Why are we stopping that? Why don't we want to put these shooters and killers in jail? What reason? 
because the victims are my black community, yes. the young people. Yes. I want to meet with Sharpton and community leaders, and we got to demand the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern and Eastern District. But they're being controlled by that other schmuck, Garland. It's not the it's, You tell me the reason why this initiative, and I said this to the mayor, you tell me the reason. He goes, they don't want to do it. Well, you want to know something? We have to push them. And if I get these community leaders in New York City to say, hey, why aren't we doing it? Here's my question to all my community leaders. And Al Sharpton, I'm talking, you know me 45 years. I used to call you Fat Al when you weigh 400 pounds. Now you're skinny Martian Al. Here's my question. <laughs> you love the community people so much, our children being gunned down. Why would you be against this? Let's prosecute these convicted felons who are carrying loaded guns, and let's send them to jail. Well, do we know for a fact, by the way, you're brilliant today. This is about as good as you're ever going to yeah. be. Do we know for a fact that your friend and Sean Hannity's friend, people should know this, Sean Hannity's friend, Al Sharpton, is actually against this? Well, I'm going to meet with him, and you know what? It's not a very favorable thing, but also it's not a favorable thing picking up all these bodies. Remember, 21,000 Americans were killed across this country, shot dead, and it ain't by the act of shooters. These are every day with little guns, and that's what's going on. And Take Chicago the guns especially. Off the yeah, and then they, Chicago, they just brought this moron in there. He is to the left of the other, of the, that one that looked like a zombie. The zombie, wasn't yeah, he? The, uh, the mayor, or what mayor was name Lori again? Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot. Go away. And, Bo, not only did they bring in a guy who's to the left of Lori Lightfoot, they awarded Chicago with the Democrat National Convention. Right. You only had 780 murders <laughs> last year. For the last 20 years, you've been averaging 700 murders. Stop this crap. This world has now flipped over the other side. I'm driving in my car yesterday, and I got a nice car and all that, right? All of a sudden, a guy on a motorcycle, no plate. He's got a mask on, goggles, and he's looking at me, looking at me, looking. I'm looking at You know what they look at, Sid? Here's a little tip for all our listeners out there. If you get approached by one of these, because we will, and you will, and our families will become victims. And then once the victimization starts, everyone's going to say, how did it go this far? we got to stop it now. you got to look at these little punks right in their eyes and say, you know, I ain't going down easy. You might get me. And like when they look at my watch, I love that. And I say to them, like with my eyes, I talk with my eyes, I say, you might get the watch, but you're going to get something else from me. <laughs> my whole point is we have to change the direction of, of where we go. I pray. I pray that this man, when he told me they don't want to do it, what reason in God's name do they not want to do and this? By the way, just to further this story, and, uh, and, and I also know why Margot loves you so much. When you get heated like this, it's very hot and sexy, even for a heterosexual guy like me. I just had a four-hour <laughs> operation last Friday. I, I was on my back tied, tied to a friggin' stretcher for four hours, and they were probatating me, and then I, 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 I couldn't sleep that whole I had a little prostitution there, and he jammed something. And I thought somebody did something uh, sexual Bo, to me. That, that wasn't the doctor, uh, Bo. But uh, on a serious note, you've even volunteered your time yeah. and service for nothing. Absolutely. Nothing just to help this city because you're a real New Yorker and you actually care. And the mayor has still not taken you up yeah. on that offer. And, and then I get the good news from my, uh, from my accounting firm. Oh, Bo, guess what? You didn't pay enough of estimated tax. You owe this, you owe that. Listen oh. to me. New York City, I'm being taxed, I think, 53%. This is what it's all about. They want me to stay here. 
being taxed out of those. And now they want more taxes for us. This is where we're going. Wonder why one-third of New York City population is moving the hell out of here. Oh, yeah. I tell you the truth. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I can't mean, leave. I, I can see I'm you right fighter. now. I can see you right now in your Bermuda shorts keeping more than half your money, not paying any state tax, and walking to Atlantic Avenue and Delray Beach this morning. I can see it. Margo wants me to come to Florida and I know. move down to Florida. Come on, you could be, yeah, you know, be, be at New York Prime tonight. They love you there. They who's, love you at uh, Abe and Louis. Yeah, but who's left to fight here? Are we just going to pack up and run away? We've got That's what we're doing. I mean, it's, everything is topsy-turvy. And then I then I listened to this Fox News with this Lachlan, that suit, that $1.6 billion. They're going to get fine. Where is the board of directors for Fox News? You should fire this lucky sperm Lachlan and his brother. Fire them. What? They got him on emails and texts, and he's been lying. And he was forcing employees to make up lies. Lachlan, bye-bye, dickhead. Like I say, good and good fellas, yes. This, 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 yeah. this punk that won't let me do Jesse Waters' show, won't let me, won't let me do a Sean Hat. Why? Why? Because it was a lie about your father. And if you want the truth, punk, just have me come. But I don't think you're a man. All you are is a lucky sperm. When the protozoic sperm come out, you are a lucky, lucky, lucky little boy. And that's exactly like Soros. That, what's his name? Alexander? Alexander Soros? Twelve times sitting with national security advisors in the White House. What the hell is this liberal progressive punk doing with national security? Does he have a clearance? No. no. His daddy has a clearance with a checkbook. Yeah. And they support every one of these punk DAs across this country have put us into a toilet bowl. A real toilet bowl. Oh, I'm so angry. <laughs> but, but you know what? The good part about everything is yeah. that the uh, smoke shops are... Working very oh, well. Enough with those. We only have a couple murders. Enough with those. Uh, we're doing good with the smoke shots. Go get I a mean, license. Can, can you walk down one street in Manhattan this morning without smelling weed? I think it's one eight, street. I think there's eighteen hundred. Now I think there's about four li- four licenses, but you got eighteen hundred smoke shops selling. Probably they're selling coke. They're probably selling guns. For Nobody's sure. doing the damn thing about it. Instead of looking at robots, Eric, dancing <laughs> around robots and these uh, RT doo-doo things, I guarantee you, those things will be thrown on the tracks of the A train. And then what are we going to do? We're going to have a train that's going to derail. And this is what we're doing. Robots, how about supporting the cops? How about let's... Bring their salary up, but you can't get it past those morons in Albany. That little head of the sea and the, oh. and the scoff lady there. Oh. Cousins. Cousins and he's Now we got Snaggletooth yeah. Hulkel begging with her teeth. Please, we got to park, we got to park this bill. <laughs> pass this budget. We need to fight pass this budget. Hey, Snaggletooth, find your ball bag. You're the governor. Why don't you start demanding some stuff? You know what? You're not a governor. You're not a leader because you get taken around by your nose. Yeah. Charters, you do they don't want that. You, you, do they only... you do realize it's going to be tough for Kathy Hochul to find her ball bag because she's got a vagina. I, just... I don't know about oh, okay. that. Do you know that for a fact? Uh, actually, I don't know. Because I don't be claiming stuff that you don't have any factualization. She may have done one of those transformer things. I don't know. Do you know for real? Would you I, bet I your life on it? Uh, no. I don't right. even, and by the way, I don't want to know. Hey, talking about cops, so and great yeah. cops, which you were certainly for the better part of two decades, an amazing cop. Uh, Pat Lynch announced this week that he's going to retire. I know you've had your issues. I think we all have. But in the end, you like Pat. I mean, you think he, he did well by the, by the rank and file? Well, I like Pat, but you know, I didn't like when I ran from there. Now, what happened there? Yeah, what happened there 
It's the politics. Your friend over here, Big Bird, too, uh, right. Ed Cox. Right. That's what happened right there. Well, was he part of that group? He was part. He was the lawyers for the Sergeant Benevolent. It was a whole scan. Why wouldn't they endorse Bo Teedle for mayor? Well, why didn't they? Uh, well, did, he ever, the did, did Pat ever explain and, and, to and Pat, no, They all did. It uh, was political. Here you go with the political crap. Who would have been a better mayor for this oh, city? Come on. Fighting for everybody. Fighting for education. Fighting for the kids. But you know, know something? It's all political crap. You know what else? Oh, by the way, Pat Lynch, now that you said that, and I like Pat. I do like Pat. And uh, he had a great career, and God bless yeah. him. But didn't his group give money to Kathy Hochul? Oh, I'm they sure. Like yes, they did. Dollars. They wouldn't endorse. They didn't endorse. They endorse Lee. <laughs> so you like, you like Pat Lynch? Uh, all uh, I know is Pat Lynch is riding to the sunset, probably down to Florida, with a lot of potatoes. <laughs> Happy trails to you. Leave the city in the toilet bowl. Oh, I forgot Mike, about well, that. He did school Lee Zeldin, but Kathy yeah, Hochul, that's know, not good. He was a good man, Patty. He's a very articulate guy. Yes. He speaks he's a, great a lot better than yeah. me. No, but no, no, the no, point no, is, no. I don't know who tells more of the truth. Right. I but, tell the truth. Maybe he, he never said the word dickhead and goodfellas. No, but the thing, the, 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 the most important thing right now, now is we've got to realize where we are in New York City and across this country. We're at a crossroads, and if we keep slipping down, this is what's going to happen. And again, I know you love your friend Donald Trump. I know Donald 40 years, and the reality is this. we got to set this thing right, because if Donald runs, he will get the nomination, but we will lose the presidency, and we're, going, and we're slipping down. I don't know if that's true. There's only, there's only about 35% of Kool-Aid drinking Trumpers. No, I understand that, but if he's beating DeSantis by 40 why, points, why don't you talk, DeSantis why don't you talk to DeSantis going to Why don't you talk to some of your liberal cousins upstate? <laughs> Start talking to some of these liberals. Start talking to some of these Democrats. They hate them. Then you even have Republicans that you hate them. listen to me now, Independence Paul. Here's what I want you to do, because I know you still talk to them. I, I want you to text Trump now, yeah. and I want you to say to your old friend, Bo, Don't run. meet me at Avra. Don't say that. Meet me at Avra at 12.30 for lunch, because you're going to Tisha James right now. Yeah. Meet me at 12.30 at Avra for lunch. Let's figure this thing out together, get you elected, and save our country. Well, Steve Whitcoff is his best friend. Now, I know, you know Steve very well. He was my partner. Yes. But he forgot about it. I, I wasn't from the tribe. You know what that means? I wasn't from the tribe. Right. I was the Italian guy. Yes. I wasn't the Jewish guy. Right. So basically, uh, Steve and I went through a little uh, mi- miscommunication. Basically, he's his best friend. He tells me we're going to have a dinner. He's going to put a dinner with me and, and Trump. And he goes, look, I don't want you to go into anything. You know, tell him you'll call him offline. So which is true. You don't want to embarrass somebody. Right. And think about that, what he, what he said. It's very true. You've got to use that uh, thing to make an extension for a further call. But sure. did you ever try to deal with a narcissist? Did you ever try to? You're a narcissist. Of course. There's Danielle. Yeah. Now, listen, <laughs> can anybody tell you what to do, Sid? Uh, not really. If they told you, Sid, I'm getting rid of Bo Dita, what would you do? I'd walk out. And I know you I'd would. I'd be pissed. I'd, no, seriously, I'd walk out, I'd be pissed. Well, all I, I could say is narcissism is a disease that he cannot No, help. you're right about that. He's got it, but I think that actually helps him. By the way... The rumor is that it's got a text. You ready for this? Yeah. A very good source. Go ahead. A very, very good Don't source. Don't tell me about the friggin' polls. Come on. Pat Lynch yeah. is going to work for Hochul. Get the hell out of here! <laughs> that damn traitor! You traitor, Pat Lynch! Why don't you go to Florida? I, I just can't believe this guy. Yeah, hey, Pat, when your family becomes victims with the crime wave out there, you could go ask Snaggle, dude, what should you do? Are you kidding? Well, this is a true story, bro. Oh, this is a, Now you know why they gave her $2 million. 
Tidy's going to work for her. Your response just now was like an Academy Award response. I, Get I the hell out of here. I don't know what's up and down anymore, Sid. All I know. All I know, I know is, Sid, you are really, we should get this thing across the country because the country, all sides of it needs Sid across oh, this you. country. That I mean it. Thank you. What you say, Sid, it resonates to the majority of the people. And it, it resonates to the ethnic communities, the blacks, Hispanics, Chinese, every, you can't say Chinese, Asian right. and Jewish, whatever the hell it is. But we got to bring in the, all the people together Agreed. to change the direction. I agree. I love you. You're great. Both these folks, are, this was maybe his best performance ever. I'll include 30 Years of Imus with that. Blue Bloods, tomorrow night, 10 o'clock. Make sure you're watching Blue Bloods, Bo Deedle, and of course, 740 every Tuesday morning, 905 in studio like this amazing appearance every Thursday. We will talk to Melissa DeRosa. That's be very interesting. She's coming up next. So lonely. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so good. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking to my little Beatles for you. Good stuff. What a great show today. We did have Niles Farage talking about the Beatles calling from London at 7.05 this morning. Everything from the King Charles coronation to my trip to London to Donald Trump. He was great. Frank Morano, terrific today. Andrew Napolitano, Bill O'Reilly, Bo Deedle. What a great show. Great show. So my next guest is making her debut on this program. I spoke to her actually when I was filling in for John Katsimatidis one day. I actually did a whole week of shows with John, which I really enjoyed, mind you. That's a terrific show he does. Five o'clock every day. The um, Now it's called uh, Katz and Cosby, but back then it was... Catch at night, and uh, her name is Melissa DeRosa. Now, listen, you guys know the Andrew Cuomo story. Uh, I was hesitant to bring him on, but in all transparency, to be honest, we had a conversation. I made it very clear to Andrew that he must discuss one of, if not both, major topics that you guys want to hear about, the nursing homes and bail reform. And after a short conversation, he agreed to talk about bail reform, not the way I would like him to, but he agreed. And then literally moments after what was a decent conversation, he canceled. He chickened out. Big bully, Andrew Cuomo, chickened out. So now Melissa DeRosa, who I did uh, talk to on Katz Matiti's show, and I do hear her throughout uh, the weeks, I uh, offered her the same thing. I said, listen, Melissa, I have to do this. This is what my audience wants. We must discuss one of, if not both, of those major topics. So. Before we even start the conversation, again, full transparency, she cannot talk about the nursing home stuff today. Uh, the reason why, uh, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. But she can today. That doesn't mean that she won't. In fact, she will. I promise you if she comes back on this show, if she does, she will discuss it. Can't do it today. But, but she is willing to talk about bail reform and other issues in this city, including Kathy Hochul, the budget, and all that. So with that said, making her debut on Sid and Friends in the morning, straight from uh, back from Detroit, <laughs> here is Melissa DeRosa. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? Good 
Good to talk to you, Sid. How you doing? I'm okay. Uh, the way I uh, set that up, was that good? Was that fair? Totally fair, totally fine. Although I, you know, I, I don't speak for the governor anymore, but I imagine he will be coming on and we'll talk to you about those issues in the future. But I'm here today, so let's chat. You think he will? No, no, hold on. But well, I do want to chat with you. But why, why do you think he will? He's had opportunities. He, he keeps dodging it. Now, he, he went out with John Katsimatidis. John asked him the questions. I'll give John all the credit in the world. But Andrew didn't answer anything. And John was nice about it. I'm not going to be as nice. So why do you think he eventually will do that? You know, I listened to that show. I think it's not a a right characterization to say he didn't answer. I think he talked about the nursing home stuff extensively. I think he didn't. I think his answers will never satisfy certain people. Look, I don't want to get you involved in this conversation, but you can't blame Donald Trump. Stop, right? Stop. Donald sent ships over here and did everything he can to provide extra space for the bodies and, and, and to blame Donald Trump. I mean, Biden still does that, and, and uh, New York uh, people still do that. It is ridiculous. Donald Trump uh, was a guy that had the vaccines under him. He had the uh, China ban in place, not the European ban, not the Italy ban. So right away when Cuomo did that, which is a Democrat uh, point these days, I'll just blame Trump for anything, he lost me there. So I'm going to disagree with you on that, and that's fine. Once you blame well, Trump... Look, in this, in this- in the spirit of, you know, de- healthy Democratic debate, Brookings is out with a study this morning saying that Trump's inaction on COVID led to a 70 percent increase in deaths. And so, look, people look at these numbers from a lot of different places. New York was in a position where we didn't control the testing early on. COVID was silently going going through New York for all of January and February of 2020 without our knowing. We had to, because of federal protocols, send tests through a CDC lab in Atlanta. They wouldn't let us do our own testing. Our hands were tied. We don't control the airspace. They didn't ground the planes ever coming from Europe until uh, until the, I think it was March 15th, they finally did it. And so, yeah, he did the China ban. And look, in a lot of ways, I don't blame Trump for some of this stuff. He was listening to his own health advisors. You know, I don't have any evidence that Fauci was telling him in January and February to close down travel from Europe, but you can't say that it wasn't a federal responsibility to ground those planes and that not grounding those planes and leaving the door wide open on the East Coast is what caused COVID to silently infiltrate the tri-state area. And early on, the highest incidence of cases and death was New York and New Jersey. And where did the planes land from Europe? JFK and Newark. And that's inarguable. So in any event, that's a larger conversation I'm happy to have on COVID in the future, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, we're not. Uh, Melissa DeRosa, but I do appreciate you going there, at least there for that portion, uh, because it does show me, at least, to my listening audience, that uh, you are up to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, even stuff that may be awkward, uncomfortable. Whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. can't be an easy conversation. So let's get right to bail reform. Look. Uh, the, the budget is still not ready to go. Kathy Hochul keeps postponing it. Uh, I know one thing about you is you're not a big fan of Kathy, neither am I. That's the good news. Either am I, I should say. Uh, bail reform. Now, look, let's be honest here. I hear again, going back to the governor. He comes on. He talks about how it's got to be fixed, and blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, he started it. He's the guy that wrote it. He was okay with it. So uh, it comes off to me a little disingenuous, more than a little, that he's all over Hochul, as much as he can be, by the way, because he tries to protect her, for bail reform when, in fact, him and you, you guys, were the architects of bail reform. Why doesn't the buck stop right there? So, listen, when you have a conversation about bail reform, I think it's important to be dispassionate and sort of remember where it came from. 
Bail reform, we had a system of bail in this state where if you were wealthy and you could afford to get out on bail, you got out on bail. And if you were poor and you didn't have cash in your bank account, you sat in Rikers. And sort of the tipping point was with Khalif Browder, who was a 16-year-old kid who was accused of stealing a backpack and sat for three years in Rikers, two of those years in solitary confinement and killed himself. And at the end of the day, was never even charged with crime. And so I think the intent around bail reform was the right one. The idea was to rid cash bail from the system and create an equal justice system for everyone, regardless of how much money is sitting in your bank account. Now, our original proposal included a dangerousness standard that said that judges would have the discretion to be able to say this person poses a threat to society. And in the initial deal that we made with the legislature, that provision did not survive. But what do you do when you're in a leadership position is then you look at how the policies are impacting what your stated goal was and what the actual reality is, and you make adjustments. Now, this is a highly emotional issue for a lot of people in the legislature, particularly black members who feel like they're doing this because the black community in particular has been disproportionately hurt by bail reform in the past. Oh, hold on. Yeah, let me stop you right there. Yes, they have been disproportionately. By the way, the black community commits a disproportionate amount of crime. I mean, let's, let, let's not make this into where they're victims here. Yes, they are the ones put in prison because they commit about 57% of the crimes and they only stand for about 14% of the population. Let's have an honest conversation. Well, I am. I am not gonna. I'm not gonna agree. With well, you these are facts. No, Melissa, these are facts. But I'm saying I don't know those statistics firsthand, so I'm not gonna concede that point. But what I will say is, black people in this country also disproportionately have been victims of the criminal justice system. When you look at the number of people who were put in jail over time for marijuana offenses, when white oh, people on. were committing marijuana offenses mm-hmm. right alongside them, right. but police officers were disproportionately holding black people accountable, stop and frisk, all of these things. But my point, my larger point to you, Sid, is it's unquestionable now that the people of New York feel like the bail system has to be reformed. They want the dangerousness standard. We see it in poll after poll after poll. And it is incumbent upon the leadership in Albany to to make those changes. The politicians work for the people, not the other way around. This is the system that people want. And by the way, I don't even think of it as a rollback. They did cashless bail in New Jersey under Chris Christie, a Republican governor, and they had the dangerousness standard. And it has existed for the last 10 years and has gone very well. So it's just a different approach, and it's time that Albany get with it and say this is what the people want and go in that direction and be done with this conversation once again. That's fair. By the way, the uh, black community that uh, suffers uh, violence at the hands most is from the black community. It it ain't white guys. It ain't, uh, you know, white supremacists and all that nonsense. But, okay, let's move up with that for a second. Let's get to uh, Roland Smith. Uh, oh, Wilson, excuse me, Wilson. I know that Hochul was not able to get LaSalle confirmed a couple of weeks ago. You really were the best at discussing that on this station, uh, more than anybody else, to be honest, Melissa, because you weren't afraid to go with Hochul, and while others uh, made excuses for her, and, well, she picked the right guy, it's not her fault, it's Stuart Cousins, it's blah, blah, blah. You went after Kathy Hochul. Now you really should go after her because this choice is a terrible choice, a terrible choice. And if they are, if he is confirmed, that's no good either. Give me some more stuff on Kathy Hochul. So, look, for, for Hochul with this judge, it is the, the corruption and sort of deterioration of the justice system playing out nationally. We're getting like a first a front row seat in New York. New York is like, hold my beer. 
And basically, she got her she got crushed on the judge. The legislature ran circles around her on LaSalle, which I predicted very early on was going to happen, simply because they didn't agree with some of the decisions he made, which, by the way, were based on legal precedent and not on politics, which is exactly where you want the judicial system to be. So this time around, she gets a new list. The legislature says immediately, if you pick Rowan Wilson, you'll have a glide path to confirmation. Not wanting to be embarrassed, she sort of blinks and goes with who they want. And then, amazingly, in a move that is unconstitutional, says she's going to choose Caitlin Halligan to be an associate judge from the same list, which is against the constitutional rules of how you pick the judges. And so they're now like, and this is the importance of the Court of Appeals, right? It, it has to hold the political system accountable, which is why the people that get chosen for those positions are so important. Because with this legislature, where the supermajority of Democrats in both houses, and this governor who gets pushed around all the time, she's the weakest governor, frankly, that the state has had in modern history, you end up, you're going to be in a situation where you're signing a lot of bills that are unconstitutional, and then the people at the highest level of the court are going to be the only stopgap to make sure that those laws get knocked down. So it's it's not a good day for New York. I think that this is heading in a very bad direction, and yeah. I think it just reinforces that there's a new power dynamic in Albany, which is the legislature's in charge and the governor is sort of along for the ride. Yeah, that's how I kind of feel. I feel like, uh, to your point, Stuart Cousins and Heasty and these people run this state, not Kathy Hochul. So what is the latest with the budget? When can we expect that? That's a really good question. Sid. I mean, and that was someone under Governor Cuomo, you know, whether you agree with him or not, he delivered non-time budget for 11 years and said, we're not going to have this dysfunction anymore. And here we are on April 13th. And, you know, there's there's no real landing place in sight. So it's unclear. You know, she's trying to get changes to the bail law made. I'm going to guess that the legislature gives her something I guarantee you it's not going to be the dangerousness standard that we just talked about that the people of New York want and demand. So she's going to end up sort of pissing off the left who's going to be upset she rolled anything back and the right who's going to say she didn't go far enough and she'll be exactly where she was at the beginning of the conversation. And then, you know, we'll see about the rest of it. But I, I think that the, the budget is something people really need to pay attention to. We have an affordability crisis in this state, and our leaders are dr- spending like drunken sailors. And frankly, the only way that you can continue to support, support this limitless spending is by continuing to increase taxes. And the front page of the New York Post this morning said, yep. you know, another 10,000 people in the first yep. three months of this year have fled to Florida. Yep. And so in a post-COVID world, where you don't have to be in New York. It used to be that everyone had to be in New York. We were in the center of the universe. In a post-COVID world where only 54% of office buildings have people in them right now, you can work from wherever. And when there's crime issues, when it costs you $50 to take a cab from uptown to Tribeca, <laughs> when, you know, you can't leave the house without spending like $75. It's, it's, yeah. like, it's like suddenly you're like, why am I doing this? Plus they have warm weather and no personal income taxes. Right. I mean, I, I was actually on uh, Waters' show last night on Fox News talking specifically about the mayor. And I know you know, Melissa, that even though I'm a Trump supporter, Republican guy, he's a Democrat mayor, we become friendly but I got to tell you, the last couple of weeks, he's losing me just a little bit. He's out there with electric cars and robocops. And like you just talked about, we've got crime through the roof. We've got taxes through the roof. I've got homeless. I've got dirt. i got filth. People are running to Florida like, uh, like, by the, like you said, the hundreds, the thousands. And I want the mayor and the governor and everybody else to start to really worry about important stuff and not technology. 
Uh, that was my appearance last night. New Yorkers agree with me. Your thoughts on the mayor as we wrap this up? Well, it's funny you should say that because I was sort of bitching about this last week when they did the press conference where they're rebranding the I Love New York logo. And I'm like, it's not about an I Love New York logo. Like, figure out the vacant storefront. Try to get people back in the office buildings. Do things that are going to cut taxes, make it more affordable, have more real police presence on the streets, on the subway, so people feel safe, so they don't feel like they want to leave New York. And I think that there's – and I'm not commenting on the – the robo cops, I frankly was out of town the last few days, so I'm not up to snuff on that. But I feel like there's been a lot of cosmetic solutions put forth on things that require really deep, meaningful answers. And we're just not there yet with the leadership in Albany. Hey, listen, that's a heck of a job right there, Melissa. Thank you for uh, coming on this morning. You did a terrific job. And we'll, uh, we'll do this again very, very soon. Thank you very much for coming on. Glad you're back in New York. Detroit's a horrible place. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Bye. All right, thank you. Melissa DeRosa. I do want to send uh, a shout-out uh, quickly to my friend Joe Esposito, who uh, is everybody's friend in this city. We all love the former chief of police. Uh, today happens to be his wife Chris's birthday, and we all know that um, Joe lost his wife last year. And everybody loved her, everybody. So I do want to send my deepest condolences to Joe Esposito, who is a dear friend, a big fan of the show. Sorry, Joseph. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. By the way, that Melissa DeRosa conversation was brought to you by my dear friend Pete Morgan and the fine folks at Peerless Boilers. Check them out today and every day. PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. They do build the world's, see, I remembered, the world's best boilers. i got to get a boiler, actually, for my new house. Everything else is so new in my house. Why not a boiler, too? We're getting there, folks. Bell Harbor, Rockway, we're getting there. I miss it. I think my uh, neighbors, uh, Billy and Jackie Feltner in Florida or something, I don't know. So they're on Instagram, and uh, Louis, Louis Gampero across the street, and Joe and Maria Ferrante, love them, and Joe Murray, the great attorney, Anthony Carone, Frank and Anthony Carone, these are all my buddies in Rockaway. Wit, I miss Wit from uh, Wit's End. I miss Joe and his father over at La Sorrentina. My friends at Pico. Where does Stax live on this block? Stax? <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is what yeah. it sounds like. My other neighbors are great, too, by the way. They're great. John, my next neighbor to my left, Billy and Jackie to the right, and uh, his lovely wife. When are you going back? Well, i got to tell you, my guy, Rich Clift, is doing such a great job, such a great job, that uh, initially we were talking about June. I've got this apartment to, like, August because it was so much work, but he's doing so much so quickly that... It is no longer unreasonable to think I won't be on the beach by my house Memorial Day weekend. Hey, now. Good. Hold on to the hey apartment now. now, too. That's good. That's going to open yeah, I know. I love that. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Don't say anything about that. People get mad because, believe it or not, there are people that think that's racist. They're trying to remove that. Why? Why We're really? keeping the people out of Bell Harbor. Oh. 
Okay. All right. Everybody stop whispering. We can all hear you. Well, you know, Noam just told me that there were a couple of times during the DeRosa interview where she would answer one of my questions and Noam would hear me. What did you hear me say exactly? You, you did this like, <sighs> you did that a few times and then a few times you're like, really? <laughs> you were like whispering. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, was it was awesome. I was, was loud here laughing. utter disgust. It was the come I mean, on. Right, there were a couple of times where I did actually just go at her, right? I mean, yeah. enough with the black uh, victims. I mean, blacks kill blacks more than anybody else. Whites don't kill blacks in big numbers. Blacks kill blacks. Enough with the nonsense. Oh, they smoke weed, they go to jail. Yes, great job by Donald Trump. He's got Alice Johnson out of prison. But how many really violent blacks are walking the streets right now with 19 prior arrests that didn't just smoke weed? I mean, give me a break. So there were a couple of times I had to go back at her. And I hope Janice Dean's not mad at me. I love Janice Dean. But I did at least broach the nursing home thing. She promised she'd come back and talk more at length about that. And she did talk about bail reform. And she did take the bullet. I mean, she talked about, you know, the dangerousness clause and all that type of stuff. That's fine. But we went there, right? We went there. So, Well, you don't need to look for our approval. Well, what did you think, uh, Noam? I, I well, I, I I enjoyed the heavy size and the come on. Except you like you that, right? Yeah. Come on. Oh my God! I forgot the most important name of all. Talking about missing people back home, but see, I was talking about Rockaway Bell Harbor people. This person is actually Breezy Point, but of course, it's my dear friend Mike Sullivan. All the Sullivans: Mike, Danny, Brian, Tommy, all of them. We'll come back and wrap things up right after this. Radio 77 WABC. Song, waiting on a sunny day. Gotta wait, folks. It is sunny. It be hot out there, baby. It be hot, baby. I'm gonna go out there and have naked myself in about an hour and a half. Next two days, in fact, I'll be walking around Battery Park shirtless and hey now. Okay, now I know where to avoid. That's good. Thank you. Well, this a gay kid grabbed my nipples yesterday out of nowhere. It was a, it was a true story. <laughs> That'll get your attention right across. Oh, yeah. Tell that oh, story. yeah. It's a good yeah. Well, it was a great show again today, and getting bored of doing great shows. This is not doing crappy shows. Please don't. Why not? Okay. Bring an oxygen tank in. What do you mean? Tired of getting eight to nine. It's no fun. I'm about to get threes. You listen to bad radio before? Yeah. Thank you to uh, Frank Morano, Nigel Farage, Andrew Napolitano, Noam Layden, Bill O'Reilly, Bo Dietl, Melissa DeRosa. Special thanks. To my cast, brilliant as always, Louis Rafino, Justin Ellick. Really uh, good work, Justin. And uh, no, enjoy your sunny Thursday. God willing, we'll all be back again for a Friday show at 6 a.m. tomorrow. So until then, from all of us on Sid and Friends in the Morning, to all of you, 